0: Yeah, I think a little bit of Buddhism goes a long way. Like, l- life is suffering. You need to be able to detach from it if you're going to get through life. That's true for a transgender person. That's true for a refugee. That's true for a poor rural Trump voter. I mean, that's true yeah. for everybody who suffers. That's
1: true for a single white male living in southern Orange County who makes a decent living but can't seem to find a girlfriend.
0: Just drop that biblical inerrancy and they'll, <laughs> they'll start some is- running. <laughs> you
2: Jeff, I just want to say that I am proud of you. You don't have to be... I mean, you can be proud of me if you want. I don't
1: care whether or not you want me to be proud of you or not want me to be proud of you.
2: I'm just saying I'm proud of you. Everything. Every single time. Every single time.
3: I don't know why I'm proud, but I'm going to jump on behind I, scott and be proud i jump behind him i have anxiety Zach, every
2: proud. single time my wife and kids leave every time and i said this on another on other podcasts every man's fight and yeah thanks for being don't proud lump us in there but <laughs> by you. the way i'm still i'm still 24 hours away from my family coming home so what's your weapon of choice um so, I just God put American Crime ABC Television show binge watch for hours and, hours and hours and hours and hours and hours to distract you from boobs. Uh, oh wait, I no. thought we were talking about like your weight again. Yeah, uh, we were. I don't know. So Wasn't that apparent? Well, Zach's saying that talking minus, about his own boobs
1: minus chocolate yeah. ice cream and cheesecake.
2: Oh, food too. I was eating. I was eating cereal last night at midnight. So you weren't talking about that. We could. I mean, I'm proud of you, Scott. <laughs> what the hell for? <laughs> wow. No. Scott's feisty?: I know. He came in with a lot of energy. lot oh, of
1: energy, I have so much energy.
2: No, it's good, because I, I will leave here, <laughs> and now I know that, you know I can just screw up because then I won't have a podcast until tomorrow, and well, then I can share that when I fail, when the devil gets me. And it'll be the devil, it won't be me, Zach.
3: Yeah. Masturbate for the podcast. Wow. Is that what you're saying?
2: For the podcast.
3: Yeah, for a good story. Can, can, can. For the alliance. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's not where were you just gonna keep beating around the bush, proverbially? <laughs>
2: even if, even if I clicked on something for one second, I'd be I'd be just shame I'd be I just feel horrible. It wouldn't even be shaming the shame and guilt would be gone in a second. I'd be so upset. It'd be, uh, it remind me a long time ago when I would be, uh, you know, not wanting to eat fast food or, or drink soda, and then I would have one soda, and I'd feel like I was at day one again. I'm back to zero. How, you know. And you might as well have a soda for dinner. Yeah. Yeah. And just have sodas for the next three weeks. Just binge
3: soda. So, so- soda is what we're calling it. We're all talking about food. I'm still right. Yeah, I'm uh, not sure anymore. So for the listener, in case it wasn't clear, your wife's out of town, your kids are out of town, you're alone, and the computer comes knocking.
2: I have stayed away from that computer because if if I touch that computer.
3: (laughs) You touch yourself. (laughs) Which is why I will
2: not touch the computer. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so don't don't send jeff any emails I, okay, I
2: did okay i did touch the computer today i, I opened up pages and i wrote a list <laughs> of starbucks coffee orders for tomorrow but that's a different story mm.
3: well i mean if you were to fall off the wagon uh, whatever wagon we're that's talking not about.
2: happening but go ahead and let's it's been a while you could rebuild no i don't want to rebuild you could reconstruct. No, nah, I don't want to reconstruct. I want to. I just want to build a a large tower
3: that... Uh, Wait. Oh, continue. Sorry. But talk <laughs> slower and deeper. Large tower. I
2: just want to build a large tower that hovers over... What is the tallest building in the world? Isn't it over it's in, in the in middle? Dubai. Dubai. It's called the Burj. Mm. Yes.
3: Your tower or the actual no, tower? No, my tower is going it's to be called over... The B- the Wait, Burge. is the Burge the actual tower or your tower? No,
2: that's the actual tower. Where are you going with this?
3: I don't know. I'm, I'm asking like, for a friend. Would
2: you slow down? <laughs> slow down and really...
3: Well, you're telling me you're not going to fall off the, the wagon no. and masturbate for the show. And then you talk about building your tower. I don't know. My Ow. mind is not clean enough to handle <laughs> these euphemisms.
2: Okay. Hey, Scott, how are you doing with your tower? Man <laughs> Not great, okay. I love when we were like, nah, I'm doing well. Hey, thanks for your genuine honesty, but you don't get that when you're like, "Oh, nothing's going on. No, all right. who's next?" Yeah, you're like, dang, it's my turn.
3: And not not good. All right, well, we have a guest today. moving on.: Not well., well, well what no, do you I mean, mean not well. Oh, yeah.
2: did boobs get you? Oh they always get me. <laughs> They don't get me, but go ahead.
1: <laughs> they don't understand you? <laughs>
3: what would those sound like? No, don't do it. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Scott
3: was about to. almost got some boob improv. If boobs could talk with Scott Holbert. That Jeff character, man. I just don't get him.
1: Motorboat. I, yeah, I'm not. <clears throat> well, so I'm, Yeah, I'm still porn
2: free, like porn, porn free but uh, other stuff gets me. Wait, we don't get a sound effect for that, Zach? You're not set up for sound effects?
3: No, not with a Skype rig. What kind of producer are you? I'll put one in just to make you sound silly. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You didn't hear that sound effect, old man? It was just right there. (laughs) I know. There's been good ample, ample and supple reasons to use sound effects.
2: How does that happen? How does that... How do you get drawn into going there.
3: He's looking for more information to apply to his 6th grade class sex ed.
2: Okay. Not <laughs> not true, but go ahead.
1: Well, um getting off of porn is uh beneficial in many ways. Um one of the ways is that your brain is not like just actively thinking about sex anymore. I think right. that's that's a negative outcome of of porn, but um so that, so that's that's a good aspect. So when it, when does it when does this, like the temptation come on? Usually it's just like out of the blue. All of a sudden I'm not even thinking about anything. Um and then it just it just pops in my mind and it's like before I can even think about it um it's it's there. Um and then I'm acting upon it. Um so maybe you know maybe that's maybe that's the problem is not actively doing something, and leaving that door open. Those idle hands, mm. idle hands. Yep. Yeah.
3: Great. Now I'm thinking about your hands.
2: That's tough.
1: Usually, usually when the temptation comes, I don't think about my hands. Right, that but now right. I am. That's weird. late.
3: I love hands more than feet. Mm. feet are good too
2: are they no forget it
3: I used to pretend to have a foot fetish in high school (laughs) what getting in with all the cool choir kids yeah I think I thought I had a foot fetish back in the day but looking back it's like no I just wanted to belong somehow liking weird things being attracted to to interesting things was on the docket of conversation in the choir room and Feet came out of my mouth. How about that? And I stuck with it. Did feet ever go in your mouth? I do like well maintained feet. That's fine, but fetish? No. But I think I claimed fetish for a long time. <laughs> I repent of my fake foot fetish.
2: That <laughs> reminds me of the movie Boomerang. That's back in the eighties. Eddie Murphy. Oh. What, did he go down to? No, Australia it's, about, or it's something? about feet. No, it's about feet. It's about the toes and how they're manicured. You got to have a woman with well manicured toes, right? Pulled those sheets up and saw this woman's toes, and she she, she had like barnacles growing on her
3: feet. <laughs> I don't know that I want to skip so fast past Scott's impression of Eddie Murphy. <laughs> Wait, Can you well. do the donkey from Shrek?
1: Probably not. You want me to try? Probably not. Do what you just did. I can't can't do it.
2: Okay. (laughs) That's (laughs) shit. I almost lost my margarita there. Oh, shoot. Brothers Babbles and margaritas. (laughs) This
1: episode brought to you by...
2: Costco Margarita.
1: Kirkland brand.
2: It's delicious.
3: (laughs) All right, well, we do have a guest. Yes, we do. Let's not waste all the times.
2: No. Um
3: Who's our guest?
2: Dan Koch. Koch Brothers? Nope. Dan Koch, he has. I was just listening to Depolarize Today podcast, and I listened to Reconstruct. He has a, another guy that he does uh, Reconstruct.
3: John C. Riley. That's it. Wait, John C. Mm-hmm. Riley?
2: <laughs> That's cellophane, man.
3: Uh, John Reigns. Yes.
2: And he is uh, very knowledgeable um, in politics and um, theology. Does he have a degree in? I guess we we'll find that out. But yeah, yeah,
3: I can make something up, but we'll find out. (laughs) I love those two podcasts.
2: I mean, listening, I just was. It was fun to be a fly on the wall and and hear them as i was telling you earlier ping pong stuff back and forth and they do it with such ease and they have a grasp of the bible and and where each of them stand and they don't even you know on the reconstruct they don't even agree but they have kind of like us we have good conversations and we can it can get heated but at the end of the day it's like that was that was awesome that we had that argument and Kind of set our territory.
3: They have a good rapport. Yeah. They know each other. They record in the same room, I believe. Just like us.
2: (laughs) But the depolarize that Dan's got, that's... I've only listened to a few, but let me finish that sentence. That's fascinating to listen to him talk with um, two sides of uh, the argument with uh, the left and the right. and Everywhere in between, and that's pretty new, right? And it started May,
3: just before. Depolarized was just before Trump. Oh, really? Yeah, it was as all the the political re- re- rhetoric was re- ramping up. Okay, um, and he started that to to try to navigate that situation. Mm. So I, I'm not even sure if it was intended to be a long term podcast, and now it's got a life of its own.
2: Okay, it's. Is it Reek I sorry. Is it reconstruct that came out after?
3: Yeah, that one's real new. Oh,
2: okay, yeah. that was the one that came out. All right, a few months ago. Yeah, the depolarize. I would love to go back and listen to the before, and I started listening to some of the after. Listen to him interview people that he had had on before, and what they thought was going to happen, and there was going to be a Clinton landslide, and then it was like, um, how, what do we do with all this? Listen to him talk to somebody. Uh, with the Washington... I do not know why I can't remember this. WAPO? <laughs> no, it's, it's somebody, somebody in the media. Inquire? Is it the wa- no, Washington choir? That doesn't sound right. <laughs> <laughs> Washington Times? No, it's not Washington Post, but it's... it's He was talking to... to uh, I, or, I don't know if he's a reporter or... Uh, yeah, he's a reporter. Beckett Adams? Mm, uh, I'm not sure, but... Regard regardless. The conversation was um just the idea of like what do you know, after the election, like what do we do? Like what reporters didn't know what to do. Like it we all had like our scripts ready to go and then what what the heck happened and and, yeah. and Trump is not like President Trump is not anything we've ever known before. So how the heck and he doesn't stop. I love the guy he said um he is like um it's like never ending. It just it doesn't stop. Like his verbal diarrhea just doesn't stop. It's like the Energizer Bunny. <laughs> and it, it's like okay, so we don't get a rest at all. How the heck do we even write on this guy? And it was a good. Com- it was a good yeah. conversation on ignore him the arena. I don't think if you're a reporter on the on in D.C., you ignore what's going on in the presidency, in the most powerful country in the entire planet.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, but he, what's going to come out of a Trump tweet? Like, is there going to be national policy that's...
3: Oh, he's calling us. Look at him.
1: Hold that thought. We can ask uh, Dan. <laughs> yeah, Zach, so are you going to answer the uh, call from Dan? Yeah. Anytime. No, let him go to voicemail and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What's up, bros? Hello, Dan. Hello. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. I don't. I. Uh, I'm waiting. You tell me when we're rolling, and then I'll start making all the jokes I plan on making. No, oh, you just we're <laughs> you rolling ahead. always. You're always rolling. So yeah. I do have my. I have my beer here. I was thinking, what kind of beer I should be drinking? First of all, I didn't know if you guys actually drank beer while you recorded. <laughs> just, do you?
1: We just say that we do. <laughs> And act like we're drinking. If you're paying I don't attention, see any.
3: You'll notice. Oh. A, a big difference <laughs> Sorry. from Sorry. the beginning no. of the podcast <laughs> to the end. Oh. Um.
0: Oh wow. Okay, you guys are. Okay, Dan, Dan, so Dan, we just had our AA meeting. We're hold on. So I was worried, like that I wouldn't <laughs> get it right because so beer and Bibles usually means craft beer, but with the word bros. There was a wrench thrown into it. Yes. Because it's possible that bros would not care how good their beer is and they would be just like pounding high lifes, doing a (laughs) wizard staff of Bud Light cans duct taped together. Yeah. But it appears you guys went full on craft. I found middle ground Deschutes in version IPA. That's beautiful. Nice. Yeah. It's in between. It's good (laughs) enough for the nerds. Yeah. I'm not going to offend you by drinking Olympia like I was having with dinner. Uh, yeah. But I'm also not going to score any beer points.
2: No, Deschutes is one of my favorites. You are officially welcome nice. to the podcast. <laughs>
0: yeah. Thanks, guys.
3: Yeah, and you're, it depends on what you think of when you hear the word bros, which I think is a bit misleading. It comes up every once in a while. But what comes to your mind? Yeah.
0: Well, I'm from Northern California. So uh, when I hear bros, I think of tall trucks i think of body sort of like bodybuilding no i basically all of my like judgment for being an overweight nerd comes in okay and i and i assign all of the negative things about <laughs> like good looking northern californian dudes that i was not like surfers and whatever
1: well, at least two of us don't work
3: out, so <laughs> <laughs> don't make us show you our our chests. Yeah. It's not as pretty as you're imagining. <laughs>
0: I'm. I don't have a comment on that.
3: <laughs> Dang it! I was hoping for a soundbite. Yeah, so Deschutes is great. We like uh, we like our mirror pond, and uh, you have inversion yep. there. That's good stuff. Yeah,
0: I think my favorite. Deschutes beers are the new, um, the Pine Drop or yeah, Pine N- Drop is good. Yeah, Pine Drop, which is the kind of piney IPA. I really love the Fresh Squeezed IPA on draft. That's my favorite. Pretty good in the bottle, and then on draft, the Red Chair Northwest Pale is like so good. It's pretty good in the bottle, but like if I ever see that on draft, I get it. It's amazing.
1: I don't think I've seen that.
0: I haven't either. The Red uh, Pale. Maybe it they're... might it might actually only be Washington and Oregon because it's like a Northwest thing. I don't know, Lame. but yeah.
1: Uh, so you have uh, deer antlers up, and they're crooked. It's kind of bothering
0: me. Can you? Uh... Oh, <laughs> are you OCD? Do you have a little not to you know? No, you just people leave people it there. Just leave it right there. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna well, fix it.
1: Actually, maybe you know maybe the maybe the deer just had crooked antlers. I'll go with that.
0: Actually, I'm looking at my reverse video feed and also the lamp. The lampshade is crooked. <laughs> I didn't even know. The,
4: I not know what that Which, was.
0: And so is the lamp. It's a cheap IKEA lamp, and it's just like leaning against a chair. I don't. It, it, honestly, I live in I live in sheer chaos most of the time, and I'm fine with it. You the rest it. of our house is my wife's domain, <laughs> even though I help. I just mean she's in charge, and the rest of the house stays pretty clean. But my studio is just like, you know the you know in that booklet your My Heart Christ's Home. They say. There needs to be no rooms in your house that Christ has not come into. There is a room that Christ has not made it into if Christ is a a house cleaner. And it's the studio, and I have not given it over to order. (laughs) Nice. It's your man cave. We'll call it that. Yeah.
3: So uh, your name, your last name, K-O-C-H. Coke. Do you have any um, relatives in the beer industry?
0: No, but you know what? My dad's name is Jim Coke. Exact same name as the founder of Sam Adams. But as far as I know, nobody's actually in my family doing beer.
3: Yeah, there's. A, I think there's a Greg Coke from Stone. He helped found Stone. Scott, we grabbed that door. Thanks. We had a visit from my daughter. She likes to check in when we're starting our podcast. I don't know if you nice. saw her.
0: I did see her. little toe head.
3: Yeah. What, I heard you mention once before about picking the right microphone for your voice and not necessarily the most expensive one. I don't remember exactly what you said, but what microphone are you using?
0: So this is an Audio-Technica 4033, 4033A. It's basically like a, it's just like a vintage style condenser, but they're like 400 bucks. They're not that expensive. And you're supposed to have it in a, you know, like one of those cradles where mm-hmm. it's protected from the wind. I just hold it and like move it around and wrap the cord around my fingers. I don't, I don't know. I have this really nice charter Oak here that I'm pointing to that it's like a tube mic. It's like $1,300. I inherited it from Sherwood, my, my band. Yeah. When we, when we stopped touring and, and making demos and stuff and I could do that, but I have to like, you know, go right up on it and, like, keep my back straight. And I'm just – I don't have good posture. And so I actually sound better on that. But if you listen to Reconstruct, John's voice sounds, like, amazing, like NPR quality. Yeah. That's because he's using a $1,300 mic, and I'm using a $400 mic. But this mic does not make me sound as nasal and feminine as other mics do. As Jeff's For instance, mic, yeah. uh, 57, a Shure 57, uh, I just sound like – like, I'm just hitting puberty. It's awful.
1: Yeah, we have the um, Audio-Technica.
3: It's like the Universal Podcast yeah. Starter mic. ATR Those are tw- good. 2100. The USB I think there was 70 XLR. Bucks. 70 bucks? Something like that, yeah. yeah. You know it sounds you
2: really good for 70 bucks. <laughs> you guys, I used to... So this is years ago. Guys. I used to watch this tech, tech show, and they would talk about... The new gadgets, and they would just trash. You know, right. hey, this isn't good. I give it like one, one out of five stars. Like Leo Laporte or what? whatever. And I feel like I feel like we've got this. Uh, we've got amazing Dan Coke on here, and <laughs> and now we're we're having uh, a, a, this terrible tech uh review and i'm i'm so you he was in a he was in a band you were in a band uh, scott i don't know about you you're in your own band i'm like what is going on here i just listen i just listened to dan's uh you know depolarize and and uh the reconstruct over the last week and i and I'm thinking, oh man, I cannot wait. This cerebral conversation, this is going to be amazing. And here we are talking about uh, that's a yeah. I'm not
0: exactly sure. Condenser, what kind of my-
2: <laughs> condenser
3: versus dynamic.
0: <laughs> Beers, beer, and microphones at this point. That's right. The point is, I just don't. I don't really care that much. I think it sounds fine. You guys sound good. It doesn't really matter.
3: Awesome. Yeah. Oh, thanks.
0: We can get into the cerebral stuff. I haven't had too much beer.
3: I'm sure we will. <laughs> um, you mentioned Sherwood. It sure would. Didn't you guys do an album, or was that not with you?
0: Yeah, no, we did. Uh, So we broke up in 2012, but we our last touring was in 2010, and then last year, in June, we put out a record, like a we reformed and did a record called "Some Things Never Leave You," and we did some West Coast dates last summer, and we are doing some. I don't even know if we've announced this yet, but we're doing the Midwest in October. And then hopefully 2018, we'll hit the East Coast. These reunion shows are incredibly fun.
3: Nice. That's a good, uh, I don't know about how much money you make from that, but it's, it sounds like you're mixing and matching to carve out a little niche career.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, it's not, for me, it's not a career. I would say we, it pays pretty well for how much time we put into it, um, but if you were if you think about the 10 years of time we had to put in first, (laughs) it still doesn't really, it's, it's fine. It's definitely nowhere near like my like day job. Um, but it's really fun and we can just kind of work for 10 days and, and make some money and talk to these people who have been for whatever reason impacted by our music, which is always weird and, and really fun.
3: It's like a little second life breathed into your band
0: yeah, yeah, and, and making the record was fun. Like, I hadn't made a record from start to finish in a studio in a long time. Uh, I hadn't done one since our the third Sherwood record in 0, 08 we recorded it, or early 09. And so that was that was really fun to just have somebody else in charge. Because, you know, I, I do music now for my day job. I do commercial composition. And so I am my own songwriter, producer, engineer, mixer, and masterer, uh, which is convenient for that kind of work, but it was really fun to have somebody else just be in charge and and just be like, Yeah, man, that sounds good. Yeah, you do that. You're better at this than me. Yeah. I think our, our producer said when we were doing drums at this place called, um, shoot, what's it called? Litho, studio Litho, which is owned by Stone Gossard from Pearl Jam. He said, Dan, right now, Joe is playing drums. He said, Right now, we are using two hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of equipment. <laughs> I was like, hell yeah, and and they are the best drums. Uh, like, I don't know, they're the best drums that I've heard in a long time, including for sure any Sherwood record. So
3: that's awesome. So recording commercials, I I know eventually we're getting to your podcasts, but I'm fascinated by the recording for the commercials and uh, like you, obviously you're doing the music for your podcasts. How does one, if you got song ideas, you know how to lay down some tracks? How does one get into actually submitting stuff to get in a commercial, potentially.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's really hard. There are basically... It's gotten harder, too, in the last five or six years as it's gotten easier to record music for anybody. But basically, you know, you can try out... You can offer to try out with music houses. They will sometimes accept new composers. You know, you can say, hey, I'll work for free the first couple times. I mean, it's weird, man. It's, it's also it's just like a, a weird combination of skills that people often don't think about. It's like, it's not just the ability to write music or record it and mix it. It's like the ability to decode non-musical language into musical terms, um, a little bit of self-promotion, kind of keeping people aware that you exist. And then there's writing to picture, which is different than just writing your own music. It's, it's, it's honestly, it's really hard to get into if, if, If you are just starting out, you know there's a lot of sites like Audio Socket where you can submit your tracks and you can listen to other tracks and kind of see how well yours stack up against theirs. But it's really hard to to break into. I got very lucky and happened to know a few people who were working for a couple companies and just started and found that I was maybe better at that than actually writing real songs with a band and uh, have been able to do it for a living for a handful of years now.
1: Zach, are you... uh... I mean, is this a foreshadowing of something? or I don't know. We'll see. Maybe maybe Jeff and I will make a video and uh, have you write something to... Uh, That'd be good practice. You know, video, no, Dan, yeah.
2: nothing nothing seems to change. You know, it's the people you know. So you put work in, you get into an industry, and eventually, you know, you find those connections just going back into the you know, history of uh, friends and contacts. And so yeah. you say that you're, you know, I was fortunate or I was lucky. I mean, ultimately, it came down to maybe those years leading up to like, Oh, the payoff of, you know, being in, uh, doing music and being in a band. And, and so, you know, now you do what you do, but ultimately it's what you do and you had the people and the connections. Um, and I, I think, you know, there's like this, that, I mean, obviously I would assume you'd agree. I mean, the people you know and the work you put in before you meet those people,
0: yeah, I mean it's who you know, but it's also what you have figured out how to do right. when you know them. Right? So, you, but you put that hard work in,
2: and then you get. I mean, you do a lot of work. I'm assuming in a band. I mean, just listening to Zach's stories of um, just playing and listening to other people that have toured. They they make connections. They they put in the time, and and if they're good and they they persevere, then ultimately. They make connection points along the way, and people realize, man, this person really cares about what they do. And you know, five, ten years down the line, you know, you end up connecting back with those people, and and those people steer you in the right direction, or they, they just give you an opportunity because they know, you know, they know your past. And um, I would say that to say you're fortunate, it, I think is is humble. Um, but you obviously know what you're doing, and
0: um, you're
2: succeeding at it.
0: Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I did have some people that I knew who gave me a shot. I don't know if it's because I had been hardworking. They might've just, it didn't really cost them anything to give me a chance. Uh, it just was a matter of knowing a couple of people that worked at this company. And then I think it is, yeah, I mean, we demoed every Sherwood album before we went into the studio. So I learned the basics of production and mixing, even though I wasn't very good at it. And then when it came to this, it was like, oh, cool! I was kind of licking my lips because it was a totally different artistic process and a different product at the end, and it was really exciting. You know, these days I'm more excited about um, the podcast work because it's newer and uh, it's more like it's a hobby, so it's more like my passion. But I still try and find stuff in my day job that I'm really excited about, and you know, I do my best. But
3: well, speaking of podcasts, how does How does depolarize germinate in your brain and come to fruition? Take us through that a little bit.
0: Yeah, so depolarize came about because I had been sort of moderating these discussions on Facebook that happened kind of organically. I don't really know why it started, but I started asking like kind of difficult questions and then moderating people's responses. On your personal profile? Just on my personal page, yeah. And, And people started sort of, telling me about that like at parties or something they would mention that when they saw me and I was like oh interesting people I guess that's weird and then uh, honestly I wanted to do I wanted to say I wanted to be able to tell myself I did what I could to to not get Trump elected or to keep Trump from getting elected
4: <laughs> and so
0: <laughs> I said I'm gonna start a podcast I had already done um, my other band Pacific gold I had done a podcast for that record like one episode per song. So I, I knew kind of the technical side of it, which is not that different anyway. From It's actually easier than, than writing production music. So it's just a matter of learning how to do it. And then uh, – but I realized in talking to some friends of mine who knew me well and who knew my strengths that just like a polemic against Trump would is not what I would be good at and it probably doesn't really bring much to the table and other people are doing that really well and in any way that maybe is kind of a narrow focus – and so I thought, yeah, you know, I think I'm, maybe I'll try this moderation kind of middle thing and uh, realize, you know, that polarization had already, you know, already was realizing how bad it was. And and to me, it was like, you know, if if Christians don't have a problem with Trump, then it seemed to me, and, and not not to say people who voted for Trump because they didn't want to vote for Hillary is not who I'm talking about. I mean, there there's a type of Christian who, feels like these are both awful choices. Like they're both D minuses, but this one at least will nominate a good Supreme court justice. There are people that have that view. I don't share that view, but I understand that view. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Christians who were like into Trump. I kind of was like, you know, uh, at first I was thinking about the right. And I was like, we are so polarized that people's political identity is trumping their faith. No pun intended. And then once I've done the show I realized well the left also we, we do it too I mean we have we're polarized as well we have the same confirmation bias we have all these we share all these problems um, but at the beginning it was like a stop Trump do the thing I can do to stop Trump um, and have some interesting conversations in the meanwhile that's what I was thinking
1: so were you not only so you wanted to stop Trump was that because I mean are, did you so you're the on the left, or I, I didn't.
0: Yeah, like... I'm. I'm like center left politically. So, uh, I actually went to Reno, which is the closest, um, big little city. city. Yeah, the big <laughs> little city is the closest swing state city to Seattle. I organized a little group of like seven of us, seven friends, and we went and actually went door to door for Hillary. Now, I would never campaign for Hillary just in a normal uh, election cycle. I'm not really a big fan of her, but I just felt like it was, I felt like Trump was potentially world-endingly dangerous. I think that I I feel a little bit better about that now than I did uh, seven, eight months ago. But uh, so <laughs> that was my thinking at the time. I'm not like far left. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm center left, but honestly I would have like, you know, I think if the way I say it is this: if John Kasich had gotten the Republican nomination against Hillary, <laughs> I would have voted for Kasich. Oh wow! So, but so the, uh, it wasn't so the, Kasich.
1: So we have the you know people on the you know Republicans and conservatives, possibly um, or anyone it could be who are voting for Trump because they don't want Hillary. And then it sounds like you are you are on the you are on the the idea that you're going to vote for Hillary or you're going to actually campaign for Hillary, uh, because you don't want Trump where, but where would you, where would you have been? Um, if like you said, you, it, it was Kasich, but what if it was someone you didn't want to vote for? How would you have felt about Hillary going against like a Ted Cruz or someone who is not Trump? Um, I mean, how, how would your mindset have changed? Do you think, because, because if you don't want Hillary, well, you know, why don't, why don't, why didn't you want Hillary as, as a, you know, polemically why don't you want Hillary
0: well so here's what I'll say if Trump had not gotten the Republican nomination I never would have started a political podcast I think that's probably true
1: man you owe your success to him
0: success is an interesting way of saying the thing that I spend money on every month to do in my free time um but he's creating jobs (laughs) that's true he created a, a job for my editor um so <laughs> uh, I wouldn't have started a political podcast honestly I, I I wasn't that interested in politics two years ago Trump Trump's campaign is what got me interested in politics It was just so unique and seemed like such a moment uh, and I kind of got obsessed with it probably unnecessarily so I've pulled back quite a bit in my news consumption uh, since the inauguration So I would have I don't know I would have been less involved I would have you know, made a choice and voted for somebody, you know, if it was like Cruz or Hillary, I don't know. I probably would have voted for Hillary if it was like Rubio or Hillary. I'm not totally sure. Um, I, I, the, my biggest concern with Hillary is that, well, I have a few concerns. One is that she, uh, this is all kind of moot point stuff now, I guess, but, um, she's pretty far left on abortion. I am basically pro-life. I, I Don't have this as nailed down as I'd like. What I really want to see in the abortion conversation is coalition building between the two sides to reduce abortions. So, like, I don't know that it should just, like, immediately be made illegal. But I would prefer that, like, no one or very, very few people ever got abortions. Well, that's what they were Um,
1: supposed to be, right? It was supposed to be rare and there's another word. But that's just not the case. It's just... Never turned out that way.
0: Yeah. And you know, it's really, it's interesting that the legalization of abortion coincided with the women's liberation movement. And I think there are some very legitimate questions that do need answering that are very hard about like, are women free if they can't pursue their own career? Um, You know, I I do think that stuff's hard. I have sympathy for pro-choicers, especially who are thinking in that kind of a lens So I, but I'm, I'm basically like a, first of all, reduce abortions by giving like really robust healthcare to single mothers or potential single mothers, uh, you know, mandatory paid maternity leave. Um, the kind of things like that have been shown to reduce abortions that the Republicans tend to be against for their small government reasons. And I think that the average pro-life voter is maybe actually increasing abortions through their voting because they're voting against things that we know reduce abortions. But I can't go as far as Hillary is sort of like super pro-choice. So and then I think that uh, she and Bill are, are you know, very corrupt politicians. I mean, the amount of money they've taken from Wall Street um, through speeches, not just for their foundation, but for their own personal coffer, you know, while still being public servants and running for president, I think is in poor taste actually i'm i'm not happy with the fact that obama has already begun doing that um somebody described it as you know living the billionaire lifestyle and i i uh i you know i'm not going to level that charge at the obamas and maybe they've earned some r and r you know uh but that kind of thing you know i i just long for the days when a public servant was a public servant i don't you know i don't know if we'll ever get back there or not yeah Kasich, Kasich. Kasich comes about as close as any of those front runners did, I think, to that kind of a guy. And so even though I don't share all of his views, he strikes me as a fundamentally competent and compassionate person and a person of good character. And so I would have been probably pretty happy to vote for him. Maybe Kasich maybe Kasich's twenty twenty. It's possible.
1: Are you gonna go door to door in reno for him? <laughs>
0: I don't know. I mean he'd have to challenge Trump. It would be I don't know if he can It might be 2024. Let's
1: get a a commitment from you right now. If he wins, if Kasich wins the nomination, (laughs) you're going to
0: go door to door in Reno. That's not going to (laughs) happen. Am I? Am I pronouncing it Kasich? (laughs) I don't know why I've been pronouncing it Kasich. I I know this. I was. I think I got us on the wrong track here. It's Kasich. (laughs) Sorry about that. I I didn't even know he ran. You know what? He actually was in town. (laughs) He was in Seattle. Doing like a book signing and you could you could go hear him speak. I and mean, it was on my wife's birthday. And I was like, hey, honey, I don't suppose you want to go see John Kasich speak for your <laughs> birthday, do you? She's like, no, I don't want to do that.
3: OK, fine. that's funny.
2: Is your wife into a politics like you are?
0: Sorry, one second. What just going to get this hoodie off. Things it's are getting warming hot up. in here. Yeah, it's getting hot. Yeah, we're going to keep turning it up. No, she's, she's not as into politics as I am. I think she, um, she values, she has told me and even written me like little encouraging notes, like when I have done something that actually cost me something like go to a march or whatever. I think she understands that I enjoy depolarize and that's my reward It's just enjoying it. So I don't get a whole lot of accolades for doing the podcast, but she will. Sort of <laughs> encourage me when I actually sacrifice my time for something that I don't like as much.
2: That's nice. Sounds like a good wife.
0: She's a very good wife. You have any kids too? No kids yet. Okay. Yeah. Hopping on that train soon, I hope.
3: <laughs> you froze up, right? <laughs> you froze up on. Oh, popping.
0: I said popping. I said hop hopping on that train soon, I hope. <laughs> okay. Nice. <Yeah. laughs> Physically? Okay.
3: Everybody calls it different things, Jeff. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Going going back to Trump a little bit, I have this theory that's not entirely fleshed out, but maybe you can comment on it. it. Uh, I feel like he's a reflection of a lot of the things in the political system that everybody hates at a core level. He just throws it, he throws everything out there and doesn't care like, what What happens? Well, that's the way it appears, at least. And, I mean, he's doing, in, in a lot of respects, he's continuing and building on the executive arguable, arguably overreach of Obama, and it started mainly with Bush, Bush 43, um, some of the executive expansions, and a lot of the scrutiny of press that was critical... And the drone strikes that just keep increasing, all these things are, it doesn't matter which party's in power, Trump just seems to be flaunting it. And it's almost like we want our leaders to be classy. It's okay if there's some dirty stuff here and there, as long as they're classy and we feel better about it. And I feel like Trump just reflects in us what we don't like. Um, Speak for yourself. He just doesn't know what, well, we do have a Trump voter here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't judge you for voting for him, by the way.
3: (laughs) Like for me, I'm not doing a great job at explaining this. For me personally, there. If somebody, I struggle with passive aggression, and I know I do. And if somebody is being passive aggressive towards me, I hate it, and and it just it makes my blood boil. And it takes me a second to realize I'm just looking at a reflection of myself. And I, I know there's individual things that people could say. No, I would never do what Trump's doing. I actually hate what he's doing, but behind the partisan decisions i feel like there's a layer of he's reflecting what we don't like about us as a political entity and uh, so it's freaking people out
0: you're talking about people on the left not liking him because he's sort of like a a dirty mirror of like their worst side
3: um i guess yeah i think so i mean i'd i'd want to flesh this out more and and nuance it better but very generally y- usually we hate when, when somebody does something that really ticks us off, usually it's a reflection of something we're struggling with.
0: Oh, I see. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. I I think I would. I don't know about sort. Of, I don't know about that aspect of it. Uh, in terms of you know, the person you're most angry with is the person who's most like you and in your own worst ways, which I think is obviously true on a person to person level. I mean, I do think that Trump is. Um, Trump's campaign and himself as a public figure, regardless of who he is as a private individual, is very much a reflection of where American popular culture is at these days. Um, And I think that that does not say, I think on the right and the left, um, I, I don't think that that says anything nice about us. I mean, I think that. Neil Postman in the 80s kind of predicted this in 85 with his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death. You know, he didn't predict that Trump would be president, but that book is all about how regression away from the printed word and toward the television image as the main source of information and dialogue in a culture will necessarily dumb down the people of that culture to the point where. They're not necessarily susceptible to like a George Orwell 1984 style authoritarian takeover, which is maybe some of which is a a lot of the worries on the left have been about with Trump. But actually, when you just you amuse yourselves to death by basically tyranny of your own self, tyranny of your own culture, where we're just going to make sure that we are entertained and amused and then once we, we do it to ourselves, it's not like a military coup where someone cons- comes in and steals all of our rights, as in like The Handmaid's Tale, which is uh, the Margaret Atwood book, which is a popular Hulu series right now. No, like we will just invite tyranny by just becoming shitty people with no <laughs> ideas and no education. Yeah, we're not and then,
1: informed, right? We're not being informed yeah. in the proper way Yeah, or, or ex- being exposed to other things. We're just kind of being... Spoon fed or force fed.
0: Well, and we we invite that upon ourselves when we don't take any initiative and when we sort of passively engage with our civil society. And by the way, that's not I, I think that in terms of political maneuvering and rhetoric, currently the right has has done more of that than the left maybe the last fifteen years. But that's but it's irrespective of party. I mean, we're talking just about education and media and the way that we engage with the world. And and if we challenge ourselves to be informed or not, um, you know, and it's not even like just political informed informedness. You know, I, I think that, um, the goal is to become a kind of a person. And and as a Christian, the kind of a person is Christlike, right. And you become a certain kind of a person and then you can spot a, a fake you can spot a, a serious person. You can sort of spot a lie. Um, I'm sorry, what's your your name on my screen right? The Trump voter?
3: Jeff. Jeff.
0: Jeff, so I don't know all of your reasons uh, or or whatever for voting for him, and I do not judge you for that. I say on my show all the time, the only thing that all Trump voters share in common is that they voted for Trump. So I don't have any kind of... <laughs> I, and I mean that like I mean that as like a, you know you can't no, I generalize. It. I get it. Yeah.
3: You know what's sad is it it almost can sound condescending on your part, Dan. But um, I know you don't mean it. You shouldn't even have to say that. But the climate is such that instantly right. you hear Trump voter. There's these certain images that allow you to take the humanity out of the Trump voter and to discard anything they're doing and reject them all wholesale altogether.
0: Right. And so I'm always fighting against that. Um, But Jeff, I would imagine, even as someone who decided to vote for him, for whatever your reasons were, that when like, you know, Franklin Graham or James Dobson or somebody like that comes out and says, you know what? I've got it on good authority. Trump recently accepted Christ. He's a baby Christian we need like he's drinking milk and not solid food yet that you know that's bullshit i mean like of course that's bullshit wait a second he's reading from
2: second chronicles or two chronicles two, or two two, chronicles two, two, chronicles. two 2
0: Corinthians oh my gosh I'm on my baby stages no it's has old testament <laughs> right <on. laughs> and so you know that's an easy example but there there might be reasons you know i have a mentor of mine who voted for trump and his reasons are fairly sophisticated honestly But when someone comes out with something like that, some people are, are, uh, convinced by a language like that. My hope is that as I become more like Christ, I am, I am innocent as Dove, but shrewd as a viper. And I am not gullible, uh, for someone who's obviously just pulling the wool over my eyes, you know?
1: Yeah. So I, I'm not, I I didn't vote. Um, surprise, surprise. But, uh. So I never supported Trump, but I, as, as I remember the story going that he, Trump was claiming to be a Christian, but then people challenged him on it. And, and so they, they were, they, there are a bunch of pastors that were meeting with him and the result of those meetings with him, he ended up accepting Christ during one of those meetings um, so I think, well sure he did. I think that's, yeah. well, well, right, right, but but it's, so well, he's come, not an idiot. He knows to, he needs the evangelicals. You gotta right. kiss that ring. Right, right, but if yeah. but if he was claiming to be a Christian beforehand, and 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 but but right away the conversation would come down to okay, is he lying or not? And I have no reason to trust him. However, that that's the story that you know. I think that's where Franklin Franklin Graham was able he where Graham right. was able to honestly say that's what trump did whether or not trump is
0: sincere who knows right sure yeah i mean i get that but (laughs) you know there is a lot of conversation in the bible about trees bearing fruit well i'm sure sure hillary's um, a christian too (laughs) you know actually i i just was reading this andrew sullivan um column in the new york magazine he's one of my favorite conservative writers and he is a he's a gay Catholic writer and politically conservative. And, uh, he, he said, yeah, it's, it's quite a mix. Uh, he said, Trump's not even anti-Christian. Trump is like pre-Christian. Trump is like pagan. He's basically just like Nietzsche will to power. Like he doesn't, he doesn't care about morality. He cares about winning. He cares about the spectacle. Like he doesn't, It's sort of like he's never even heard anything Jesus said, or he deemed it worthless once he heard it. And I mean, that's how I've always, it seemed obvious to me that that's what Trump was like, which does not mean that it's wrong to vote for him. Um, But voting for Trump, I think for a Christian has to be like a political maneuver. You're doing it for the ends that you think it will produce in the political system. And then we can disagree about that. And that's fine. Yeah, right. so I
1: I probably agree with that assessment of Trump. Um,
2: he enjoys grandstanding.
1: That he's for certain he does not have a quote unquote religious bone in his body. <laughs> There's yeah, I, and I I just I I because you can't you can't really trust him. He, and and he I don't I don't think we can put him. I don't think we can put it past him to do whatever it is. Like you said, to win. I think he probably cares more about. The act of winning than he does about actual money. Like, there's, it, it's hard, it's hard to, yeah, it's just hard to trust
2: him. You know, you brought up um, Trump, and I listened to, you know, a couple of the podcasts um, that you had and threw you, your phone against the wall. You were, t- no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, Dan, I'm not, I'm, I'm pretty calm. Um, I'm, no, pas- I'm, I'm passionate, I'm passionate, <laughs> yeah, I'm passionate, but I'm calm the uh but i just listening you were talking with uh he's in the media he's a reporter i think, i can't remember it was
0: like wash josh hafner for us usa today or washington. beckett adams from washington examiner okay that
2: was it yeah. and i appreciated the conversation and just hearing the back and forth Um, but the idea of like, we've never had anybody like Trump, like, what do we do? Everybody was all ready to go and had their scripts ready for, you know, Hillary Clinton. And then it didn't happen, but it it really exposed the, it, it exposed the, um, the reporters, the media, um, that they have not been doing their work. I mean, they, they're like, uh. You know, uh, a little high school with, uh, you know, the prom queen and king or that's who's going to be the prom king and queen. Then it doesn't happen. And they throw a fit. and They don't know what to do. And I'm like, wait a second, that's that that's not the reporting that I was used to from decades ago. Um, And and so now Trump is there and and people you guys were talking about, they didn't know they didn't know how to report. And they still are having serious difficulties of reporting from an unbiased position. but. Uh, you guys talked a little bit about the—well, he did, um, Beckett did, about—and I know he's not here to defend himself, but I'm going to say it anyway. Just rip him. <laughs> he, he, he was really defending them, saying that they, they don't— um, Report from a bias, and I'm like, that's baloney. And if and you can't t- and that there aren't scripts that are going through, um, you know, the media arena to just keep pushing a point, um, the idea that like the uh, New York Times, you know, does articles based on, um, you know, left wing because their their subscribers are left wing. I'm like, no, they have a paper because they write left wing and the people keep buying it and it's new york and you know they have this huge population of of left wingers and that i totally disagreed with him on the converse, uh, on that topic but it makes me i'm like okay are are we i would love to ask him but i mean it's like are, there's a blindness in all of the politics And quite honestly, when it comes down to it, set that all aside. When it comes to, you said, be Christ-like, you know, the politics and the governments and the countries don't matter when it comes to God. And that's the bottom line for me. Why I voted for Trump, all kinds of reasons. Why I didn't vote for Clinton or someone else or a whole slew of other reasons. But God and how we live to glorify Him— Is so much. I mean, to even say it is just ridiculous. But it, the the governments and the politics, they don't matter. And to say, hey, I'm going to vote for this because they're against or for abortion. I'm like, you know what? God is going to take all of this, and he'll he'll it'll be either very difficult for us. Not that he's doing that, but if we're not following a path that is Christ-like, and we're trying to stay down, stay down that path. We are going to run into some difficulties there, and it'll have nothing to do with Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. They're just two very small people out of seven billion people on the planet. And we're, I feel like we're getting lost in all the rhetoric. I do like the fact that in that conversation you had with Beckett is one of you said it comes down to talking with one individual. And, and talking with one individual and, and learning about that one individual instead of this big general stereotypical um, statement that shifts everyone. And you mentioned the, the people are getting there, it's dumbing down. People are dumbed down in the United States or across the world um, with technology and everything else that we got to stare at and we're inundated with. Uh, I realize I'm on, like, a, a five-minute drive. Is there here. anything in that rant you want to
3: react
0: to? <laughs> 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 um, I did my best Donald Trump. All right, you go. You go. Uh, okay, so, no, I really appreciate that, Jeff. Uh, so, first of all, one of the things that Beckett was talking about, and also Josh Hafner talked about this, which is another media, another reporter I interviewed, there is a there is a pretty hard line between regular reporting and editorial or opinion. So, if you what I recommend anyone does, take a big news story, whatever comes out, grab five sources across the spectrum, and just look at the facts in each of them, and you'll notice they all give the same facts. What they do is they they come from a different angle, right? But the facts are usually correct the new york times is not in the habit of fabricating things nor is fox news if you look at their reporting opinion and editorial is different so hannity is not a reporter hannity is a commentator for instance he has a very clear perspective that he hammers home every night on his show he is right now a trump apologist that is his shtick that's what he does He has decided that his viewers like that. He's a bulldog. He never ever criticizes him, right? That's that but that's not but he's not a reporter. He's a commentator. So I try and say commentators on the left and right and at these places, they're gonna have their own view. And of course they're coming from a biased position. But reporters have to follow certain guidelines. They have to have multiple sources. Those sources need to be on the record. If you read the article and you can tell that everyone's anonymous, then you should knock it down a couple pegs in your own mind. If people are on the record saying something, that means they could be sued for it. So they generally speaking, someone uses their name on the record. They are really standing by that. And they know that if they were to be subpoenaed, that this could come up. Right. So, I mean, there's, there are some things we can do and it, it does take a little bit of work on our behalf to, to be educated on, on how news reporting works. And, um, You know, I I don't know how the New York Times ended up being center left or how the Wall Street Journal ended up being center right. I don't I don't really care. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Right. They are now. We know that. And so when I read the Times, I just put a little asterisk in my head that goes, "Okay, I know they're going to kind of mention like all the things that my leftist friends would want to be mentioned in the article. And when I read the Wall Street Journal, I go, "Okay, they're going to mention all the things that my right leaning friends want to hear be mentioned and they're going to maybe emphasize them a bit more. I'm just looking for the facts. What is the new development? What's the thing that this article is saying is new information. And then like, I, I heard someone once say, if you want to get to the bottom of a news story, remove all the adjectives,
4: <laughs>
0: like just, just the facts, you know, That's You, so you then you can figure out what actually is, is being said or what actually happened as for Nike. So now I, can't remember all the rest of what you said, Jeff. Um, <laughs> Jeff doesn't remember. <laughs> you know, I'll go. Oh, no, there was one. <laughs> no, there was one. So I want to ask you, like, do you think that, um, do you think that God judges the nations? Like oh. as a actor, like God is an actor looking at all the nations of the world and they're split up by the national lines and they have their own governments and armies. Like, does my sin add to, like, the USA tally? But if I were Canadian, it adds to Canada's tally? No. And God's going to... Or, or is it more just like there are consequences for actions and God is God set up a universe that is fundamentally just and there's sort of reactions to... For every action, there's a reaction. And so, you know what I'm saying? Because there was I some did. of that language... and people mean different things by that.
2: I do. And I certainly don't think that God's judging countries. I mean, we are, we're his children and we, we are, we're set apart um, as individuals. um, And we're living a life that Scott, you want to say something? We're, we're living uh, and we're, we're living our lives and, and, and having conversations with God and and praying, um and trying to do the the will that God's laid out for us. Um and that has nothing to do with our our country or um you know, how we affiliate politically. I mean it just it, it doesn't or the even the friends that we keep, although it may it may be very Christ-like to keep friends that you know, normally people would say you're friends with that person. Um, there's something to be said for, you know, people that will just love um people no matter no matter who they are or how they affiliate. Um Scott, did you have something to say? Oh, Zach.
1: Well, go ahead, Scott. I was just gonna say, yeah, yeah, I I think God does judge by nations, um, but that does not mean that he doesn't judge individually as well. Obviously he obviously he does, but Scripture. We have multiple examples in Scripture of God judging particular nations because of their sin, and I think that continues today. But it, it's, not, it's not something where we can say specifically, this happened to a nation, and that is God's judgment. I, I, would, I would separate the two.
3: So Scott is the resident... Don't you dare! Can I call you, you're generally conservative theologically?
1: Whatever
0: that means, <laughs> the resident inerrantist in the group.
1: In generally, sh- d- depends on how you define inerrancy, but sure. <laughs> yeah, I'll. Yeah,
0: sure.
3: Yeah, but this this is actually a good segue. How how are you doing? I was time? gonna say
0: maybe we get into theology. Yeah. Now, um, I'm good till uh, nine o'clock. Okay. Yeah. Wait, wait. So before before
1: we go to if we're gonna jump, to, are we gonna jump to theology? Real? No, I was gonna to respond
0: to Jeff oh, yeah, and, and sure. you also. But
1: before yeah, before we go to theology, uh I want to ask another question, but go ahead. Okay.
0: Noted. Well <laughs> uh we'll see. Okay, we can pop back. So uh Jeff, I really appreciate that. And I, I think I mostly agree with you. Um I think that I am increasingly actually not disheartens not the right word. I think I'm accurately understanding that my influence at a national level or a state level is just infinitesimally small. And so unless I am like literally the anchor of the nightly news uh, or a columnist or something whose job it is to sort of influence a bunch of people, um, I think my main thing is just loving my neighbor. And so when it comes to politics... You know, depolarization is the thing that I am passionate about. And so that means I need to practice what I preach. I need to listen to people. I need to hear them out. Lo and behold, that's also a loving thing to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I, I think I would hold more your view that God's judgment is on individuals, you know, as a result of their actions, maybe less so nations, which brings me to Scott's comment.
1: He's looking right at me through the camera.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you can't. Yeah, I could not be. You can't really tell on Skype. Uh, Scott's comment about, you know, in the Bible, we have God judging the nations. My view biblically of that, and we don't necessarily have to launch into all the theology stuff yet here, but my view is that when the Israelite authors were talking about God blessing and judging the nations for following him or not following him, I don't think they were right about that. I think that that was them broadly speaking I don't mean like every single instance they're wrong or nothing like that I just I don't mean God didn't choose Israel I just mean I think that they were operating on an early paradigm of that actually most people go through in their life and and children go through this of like good people are rewarded bad people are punished and that was like an early stage in the development of Israel's religion that I don't think is accurate personally so I would I don't think that that requires me to also believe that God judges current nations. I think that probably a lot of the things, a lot of the instances in the Old Testament of the Old Testament writers saying, well, and that's why Assyria Assyria got us because God was judging us for our actions, is them sort of trying to make sense of sort of this senselessness of... It is senseless. Why is it Assyria? Why is it Babylon this time? Why does Persia beat Babylon and Persia lets us go home? It doesn't make any sense. There's no. I don't think God's in the business of arranging those kind of affairs. What making sense though
1: is that. Well, so I'm okay, but so God would judge the individual based on doing good things or doing bad things. Is so. So you see how you like. It's You could do it on the individual But he doesn't necessarily punish or lever. reward
0: in the kind of ways that we can see it. R- right. well,
1: I, I, no, I,
0: I, like I probably agree he, with that. I, I think that looking at it from 2017's perspective or just like modern era's perspective, I think I find it more helpful, and I could totally be wrong about this. I find it more helpful to think that is the era when, like people do when they are younger today, the Israelites thought that uh, good stuff came to good people and bad stuff came to bad people. But then Jesus came and said, "Rain falls on the just and the unjust alike." And rain in, in an agricultural society is a blessing, not a curse. Right. We think, "Oh, I don't want to get wet." He yeah. means life falls. Right? Uh, water is is life in in uh, ancient Near East. And in fact, the world is the pain of the world is senseless. You will always have the poor with you. Um. And and our job is not to figure out which nations God is blessing or cursing, because actually that's a fool's errand, and we will never totally understand why some people succeed and others don't. And our job in the midst of all of that confusion and bullshit is to love our neighbor and love God. Yeah. So, but they don't. I mean, that would be my preclude,
1: view. one doesn't preclude the other. I mean, you don't. You don't. Uh, if 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 you think that if you take my view. That God does judge nations today, that doesn't preclude you from loving neighbor, right? It, right? They're not mutually exclusive, right? Oh, of
0: course right. not. Yeah, this yeah. Is, no, and,
1: of course and, not. And we have prophecy, right? Not so not just the ancient Near East, but we have, we have first century, uh, we have prophecy of uh, God judging nations, even even as a prophecy that's that's given in the first century, um, that is future looking. Um,
3: that would you say judgment, Dan, is more consequence-related than, like, God actually being, like, physically enacting judgment directly from his hand? Because it sounds like Scott's more that, and then you're more... Well, I, I would
1: I would not... I do not have a deistic view of God. I think God is active in the world today, yes.
0: Yeah, I think he is, too. I... um I don't know how theologically you guys get on this show, but I, I lean very open theist. Is that a thing you guys have talked about? We with haven't your, we, done we it have in not depth. Not I think we've
3: touched that. on it, but
1: we... Um, okay. Not, and not directly. If if we touched on it, it would not... I don't think we would have done it directly at no, yet. not yet.
0: Yeah. Well, so the idea with open theism or open and relational theology, as Tom Ord calls it, is the idea that God either willingly suspends his knowledge of the future in order to have a loving in a relationship with his creatures. Or the other option is by his very nature, he would always not know because that is what is required of love is to to not know, to commit without knowing. Um, those are just two variations on open theism, but I, I lean toward that view that God is not God is omniscient. He does know everything that can be known, but the future by definition cannot be known. Or the way that Ord says is, or the way that Greg Boyd says it is, the future is at least partially comprised of possibilities. Yeah. In and so, yeah. yeah. Well, no, the possibilities are not infinite and God actually knows all of them. That, that almost sounded um,
2: like uh, Science Mike. <laughs> I mean, that that <laughs> yeah. the comment that, that was...
0: That was made by who was
2: it that made that comment? Greg, Greg Boyd, Boyd Greg that the Boyd, future okay. is
0: partially composed of possibilities. The partially, yeah. yeah, yeah, or whatever it the yeah, I guess, yeah, that's how he says it. Um, so I think that God is, I totally think God's active. I, I don't have a deistic view either. Um, I don't think, like, for instance, if you're are you talking about revelation in first century prophecy?
3: Uh, that'd be one Over of our Matthew yeah. twenty-five.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so there might be like I think that there's probably a plan that God has to act in an eschatological way in an, an end of time kind of a way. Um the Bible certainly says that he does have such a such a will. Uh, but theologians disagree on, you know, can he unilaterally bring that about? Or does he require his creatures to participate, to bring that about. I sure hope he can bring it about unilaterally because I don't have a whole lot of confidence (laughs) in his creatures,
4: but I don't know.
0: I don't know the answer to that. And I I don't think like, for instance, Revelation, I don't, I don't think is, I think is mostly not predicting the future. I think it's using apocalyptic imagery to to write to a persecuted church who are being killed under Emperor Nero, using imagery from the destruction of Jerusalem in 8070 to sort of get a point across that love wins in the end. Not trying to use Rob Bell's phrase on purpose. Um, Please don't on this. That podcast. that God, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's fine. I mean, he's fine. I like him. Me too. I don't. Ooh. I don't love him. I like him. Yeah, yeah.
4: Not he doesn't. Honestly,
0: he's not. He's not critical enough for me. I mean, I, I. He's like a. You know, your friend who's like always in a good mood. He's like that kind of a friend. Yeah, that's true. The, theologically, yeah. and like that's cool. You also need your friend who's like more balanced. You know. This is such a great
3: night, guys. (laughs) Have you read... uh, Quick diversion, we can move on. Have you read The Inescapable Love of God? And I'm blanking on the author. No. Um, It's kind of the uh, exegetical version of Love Wins, or exegetical version that Love Wins should have been to satisfy the more Bible nerdy. Um, It's really great. I actually just listening to you on on your podcast... Uh, reconstruct it's our stories parallel a lot um and it seems like so scott's our john he's he's the you, yeah you piss on me all the time what's that uh, not <laughs> wait you sing saying like Dan toilet on john
1: john as in toilet oh
0: thank you no it was a toilet joke
3: okay well i'm a little slow i mean yeah. i'm in the moment too much i like i just it. Need to let go that's good it's right i'm glad you got it Dan. <laughs> I'm offended, I got it. but we're just a, a wide range. Uh, have ha, it hasn't always been the case that you would answer these questions the way you're answering them now, correct? Correct. And when did that shift take place? And did it coincide with your politics? Did you have your politics gotten more center left, or were you
0: more right before? The only okay, so th- your first question, honestly. It hasn't changed for me that much since I was maybe like 18, 19, and sort of able to start to put language to the theological intuitions that I have. They haven't changed a whole lot, honestly. Um, They have changed, I don't know how to say that, Uh, they, I think they've become clearer to me, and I think that I've been able to sort of get criticism from left of me theologically and right of me theologically and sort of hone them in. In fact, John, my co-host for reconstruct is very helpful as someone to the right of me theologically to sort of help me figure out what I'm not saying or what I don't believe. If I'm sort of, you know, just like going with my heart and getting all lathered up. And then he's like, this is
3: when I put point at Scott. Yes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Right. So, and then he's like, well, hold on, but you don't mean this. Right. And I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. I don't mean that. (laughs) Um,
3: I'm not the only right. one. But, <laughs> All right. Selavine, but I, Scott. you
0: know, when I was in, in uh like I started thinking about seriously about predestination in college when I was probably 18 or 19. And my, my fundamental opinion about that hasn't changed. I just can explain it a lot better than I could back then. Um, why I, I think that that's just fundamentally not available to, to a Christian, uh, with a, with a loving God, John and I disagree on that. Um, and then your question about politics politics is really unrelated to my theology. I, I, As I said, I really didn't get interested until a year and a half ago, two years ago. And uh, I would say the only thing that Depolarize has done for my theology is it's maybe brought me a little bit closer to the center theologically, because what I've learned about human psychology in doing Depolarize, I've learned a lot more about confirmation bias, I've learned a lot more about group identity and tribal identity. Um, I've, it's actually really challenged me to think a lot more clearly about my positions. And so I think that's actually brought me a little bit more towards the center theologically. Whereas in the past, you know, I could just follow all of these sort of like social justice, Twitter feeds and just gung ho 100%. Now when I follow them, I'm like, okay, I like where you're going. I am a little bit afraid that we're making some logical errors here, uh, i like can't full th- i can't get as full throatedly behind it because i've i've been i've learned that lesson politically on the left um so that's just beginning and we'll see where that goes
1: well let' say just just for the listener that uh you you're it's not that your politics is informing your theology but the kind of the the uh right. constructs or the way to look at things that you've learned from Looking at politics has helped you look at theology,
0: right? Exactly. I mean, I would say my theology has definitely informed my politics, right? Um, for instance, I mean, it, it, it can't—it has to. It should, I mean, there's no it way you can't. be the can't, other way around. Yeah. I mean, that's— it, Right, exactly. Be difficult to justify that. Yeah, you don't want to be, you don't want to find yourself in a political tribe and then go, oh, this is the kind of God that I could therefore believe <laughs> right. in.
4: Yeah.
0: That would be a red flag, yeah. I would think. Yeah. yeah, but I think that the way I think about, you know, we don't, we, I don't want to talk about Trump anymore. But for instance, <laughs> Sorry, Jeff, I just, no, I, I'm at the point of just saying that now with people. Um, just, I don't want to talk about him. I don't want him, to talk about the president anymore. I, I do He's think just that, like a lefty no but I think that my theology How close to and Berkeley my are you no <laughs> I did grow up I grew up very near Berkeley ah, explains um, it. <laughs> i uh my theology and and like my understanding of Christ and his role in the world and the type of person he calls us to become is very related to why I could have never really supported Trump um because of so I, I do think it 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 has informed my politics but I've tried to be, uh, I don't know. I've tried to be as objective as possible, doing depolarize and, and really trying to learn from the right, um, and I, and it's actually been fascinating. Like my favorite political commentators now are center right. Those are my favorite guys to read and listen to.
3: A couple examples. Um, because
0: I know what all the left people are going to say. Like I, you know, I I am in that stew already.
3: Give me a couple examples of the guys or the people you like.
0: My three favorite are David Brooks, New York Times columnist, and. Uh, regular member of, uh, PBS news hour with Brooks and Shields, uh, David Frum, managing editor of the Atlantic, former, uh, Bush speechwriter, uh, Bush 43 and Andrew Sullivan, who I mentioned earlier, who writes for New York magazine. He does once a week, kind of longer form pieces. He's that gay Catholic, uh, conservative. conservative yeah. Blo- yeah.
2: Dan, just going back a little bit. Go back to it, Trump, Jeff. Yeah, back to <laughs> back to the the, the polarized um, conversation of politics and and religion and the gay community and every other topic that comes up. It's completely polarized, and and so there was a comedian who he was doing a spiel. And he talked about the uh the comment of "I'm offended," and it was like, that's okay. uh be offended and I think it might have come up on one of your podcasts that you were interviewing somebody, and they said, you know i'm someone said, "Oh, I was offended of of someone they were talking to, and they said, "Oh yeah, what is that or it might have been some." Uh, other, it might have even been a sermon for for, for all I, uh, you know, might. It my was incepted into your mind. <laughs> whatever, but the bottom line was that they're like, yeah, you're offended. What is that? What do you mean? What are you offended by? Well, I disagree. Wait, you disagree? Well, that's a discussion that we're gonna have. They're confusing and, the two. Yeah, we've. Yeah, yeah they yeah. they're they're so emotionally strapped. And it's such at a heightened level, like their lives, their, their livelihood and who they are depends on everybody agreeing with them, uh, millennials, and, and, and my, my seven year old aunt, <laughs> um, and every Berkeley. St- Thank you for giving two examples. <laughs> and, 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 and 90% of every Berkeley student, uh, <laughs> and those in the general my nie- area <laughs> my all niece right. comes home and says i don't believe in god anymore i'm like all right okay hello is berkeley um but the point is that these podcasts and the people that we interview and the discussions we have are there's disagreements nobody's offended because we're like okay we're grounded in life and just because someone disagrees with us and i don't know what happened to the last 20 years of children, you know, growing up, but something went wrong and, and the uh, media um, has dumbed down and TV has dumbed down people to the point where everything everybody talks about is completely polarized and it's emotional. It's an emotional conversation with everything and everybody's offended
3: so for you personally Dan how have you avoided I'm sure everybody has their moments but for the most part you don't sound like an asshole when you're disagreeing with people How do uh, you do that Dan How have Dan? you cultivated that How have you cultivated <laughs> that environment Well I'm assuming I'm assuming yeah. in your personal day-to-day life if you're having debates conversations we all Scott and I yell at each other sometimes uh, sometimes some of that's captured on the podcast but for you, I'm you are the right person for the depolarization job. Like you've, you've tapped into something. I appreciate that. And so how, how have you grown in
0: that? What's your secret? My secret? <laughs> uh, well, you know, um, I, I don't know. Uh, the more I learn about human psychology, I, I force myself to learn it by interviewing people who know more about it than I know. And then I have to listen to them because they know more than I know, and I, I'm actually i'm I feel like I'm a beginner actually on this route of depolarization. I still don't really do it very well on my personal facebook i I get into arguments with people. I don't follow my own advice in person um, often as well it, it's It's really, really hard. I mean, it is baked into our psychology like And I don't know how long you guys think human beings have been around, but I think human beings have been around for upwards of 150,000 years. And that's 150,000 years of habit of when someone presents a danger, your amygdala fires and you run or you fight. And if someone challenges your identity, that's the part of your brain that lights up. That's the same thing you do when you have to fight a bear. Like it's the same part of your brain. And... You know, it's it's actually helpful to think of the brain stem So the amygdala is at the bottom and if you're afraid that starts firing and at the very front of your brain is your prefrontal cortex That's where you do rational thinking where you weigh options and you think sort of abstractly if you're if the Energy is getting stopped at the fear part. It doesn't get to the front, right? Right. You can't make rational decisions when you are afraid Mm -hmm. And uh, we get afraid when people attack our identities. It's very hard. I'm never going to be great at it, I don't think. Um, you just have to continually remind yourself of that fact, that you know that. And you're aware And then of you it. have to go, ugh. oh, I kn- I'm I aware of this. I can't lie to myself and-, and tell myself that I just stood up for justice right now by yelling at that woman. You know, I didn't. I, I actually just made it worse, probably. Um, it's
1: okay. Just yell at her.
0: But Jeff, you were saying something uh, that I was really interested in. What were you? What was your kind of thing before cut him off. Zach jumped in? Sorry. Yeah. He's, after, he's... It, after it. After. It... Oh, kids. Yeah, kids these days. Um, <laughs> millennials. <laughs> millennial. Okay. So millennials. Well, here's the thing, Jeff. I'm g- My generation was raised by our parents being told that we were exceptional, and that we could do anything we wanted. <laughs> All of us were you raised be that way. You MVP of the NFL. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so then we go to college, and I do think there's a problem right now. By the way, in I think there is a problem in the universities. This kind of safe space um, intersectionality of of you know uh, racist and and misogynist ideologies and stuff. All of this stuff is. I think there is a real problem. I mean, Ann Coulter should be allowed to speak. She's not inciting anyone to violence. Again, Berkeley. Um, <laughs> right, and Berkeley is of course sort of like the the, the obvious choice, but Berkeley also just happens to have like one of the most radical leftist protest groups in Oakland right next door. That's unfortunate for them. Um, the black block who I think are awful. Um, that's news to me, but yeah, they're the ones who are, have done all the violent stuff in Berkeley. It's not the students. Um, so, you know, there's, that's a multi-layered problem. And uh, partly I blame boomers for raising kids to, think they can do anything they want and have sort of no sense of boundaries. So then when they get to college and someone says something negative, they go, well, I can do anything I want. I can have a space where I don't have to feel that way. And that's partly on their parents and it's partly on them. And either way, it's not good. Yeah. Especially Uh, when that, when that,
1: uh, that safe space is
0: created by shutting everyone else out or up. Totally. But I will also say this, and you know, I, I don't mean this as a dig, I don't mean it as a cheap shot. Um, but you know, we do have a snowflake in chief right now, and it is our president. I mean, that man cannot <laughs> hear true. or see a single thing about himself you know, there was that account of the cabinet meeting right. the other I day. I don't I know if you saw Dad, that. Dad,
2: I didn't hear you. What did you say? No, I'm joking.
0: are <laughs> <laughs> breaking up. We're like, every cabinet member had to, like, praise Trump before they gave him the news. Like, that's insane. Like, that's. So I think that what we should be doing is if those of if we want to, if those of us on the right who want to critique snowflake culture, I think we need to also be honest that it is reflected in our leadership right okay, now. Okay,
2: hold on. I Would you define... So I haven't watched news, I'm not joking, in like seven years. Um, I did turn on the Washington Post app on my TV. Um, you know, when the election <laughs> happened, I'm like... What's yeah. wrong with them? They're not even doing anything. They're, that band's crying in the corner. But they're Hillary um, supporters. What is a snowflake?
0: What is that snowflake? What is that reference? I'm not familiar with it. Snowflake is a derogatory term for um, lefties, who uh, and especially <laughs> college kids who say, you know, no, nothing you do can harm, can offend me. I need a safe space. Um, it's, it's basically a derogatory term for somebody who can't handle the real yeah, world style. and Soft
1: shell, you get, okay. you, you melt yeah. when the heat gets turned up just a little bit. So like, Dan, Dan yeah.
3: flipped it on to Mr. Trump. Okay. Yeah. So we called
0: those, we yeah. called those kids wussies when we, when we were young, but yes, go ahead. same thing. <laughs> but I, I do, but I do think that there's a fundamental, um, issue here that I really agree with the right on, which is that, uh, You know, I don't actually, I don't have like a firm belief about transgenderism or whatever, but I have one firm belief about all people who are minorities or aren't minorities or whatever. And that is that your happiness cannot depend on everyone else calling you what you'd like them to call you. Like our value as a person needs to come from something more grounded than that. Yes, And so I don't think that the battle should be. About names, or pronouns, Uh, I think that the battle.
1: But when you say the battle, who 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 um lays down their arms in this battle? Because you have two sides, and what what the pronoun battle has been is someone saying, which is you know Jordan Peterson. He's saying, hey, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna call you. I'm not gonna be forced to call you what you want to be called because that's yeah. just what you want to be called. So when you say it's a battle and it, sh- it shouldn't be about that battle of pronouns, but, but who really, who, who says, okay, I, I surrender.
0: Right. No, uh, to be clear, I, I, I agree with Jordan Peterson on this issue. I, I don't think that those of us, even those of us with guilty liberal consciences should give in to, you know, Zer instead of him or her, um, I I don't think that's I don't think that will solve anything, and so I think that in that regard, I would I would side with the conservatives on that question. I my my critique would be to the left that they don't make it about okay. noun pronouns that they find their value in being a, a person of value, and and you know if they don't understand you, then they're the worse off for it, you know, and that's fine. Yeah, because I mean, you're not gonna have a friend in everybody.
1: Yeah, you can you can get your you can get. Uh, affirmed in in at at school with your professors at home with your parents uh whoever but you could go on the street and if you're taking the example of transgender you can go on the street and someone they could be the worst person in the world they make fun of you and boom you're down and you're like you're you're just completely gone because someone at random made fun of you and you can't control it you can't control people's thoughts. Yeah. You can't control what people are going to say. You can't control the words that they use. And 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 that's that's kind of what like we we it's what the the argument is about. It's not about whether or not transgenderism is okay or not, but once you start right promoting you got to say this. I think that's right. That's the
0: Yeah, I think a little bit of Buddhism goes a long way. Like l- life is suffering. You need to be able to detach from it if you're gonna get through life. That's true for a transgender person. That's true for a refugee. That's true for a poor rural Trump voter. Si- I mean, that's true yeah. for everybody who suffers. That's
1: true for a single white male living in Southern Orange County who makes a decent living but can't seem to find a girlfriend.
0: Just drop that biblical inerrancy and they'll <laughs> it, they'll start some running. Is get it? Flogged. I mean,
2: is it tr- <laughs> is it truth? I was uh is it truth like when someone up. says something i was i was listening to uh is it it was matt Chandler um this past week uh in uh texas and he he was talking about um you know uh you know someone can someone can say or give me even a nine page uh you know essay on why i'm horrible but he you know if it's it's not truth you know as a believer um you know it's it, he's going to sleep well at night, but, but if his wife says, you know, one sentence, she could destroy his life for like weeks and he could, you know, but that's his wife. But so the idea of like, you know, Scott, his example, I mean, ultimately if we're not grounded, we can be blown by the wind all over the place and just be tormented. And it's, it's not a good life, but, You know, dealing with society, trying to deal with society and love um, everyone can be very uh, difficult um, when people are wanting. You know that they're wanting to hear, you know, please just affirm me. Please, please affirm me. Uh, This is who I am. Please affirm me. And it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, I... I'm, I didn't go to my own um, sister's wedding. Um, she married a, a woman when California allowed it, and now she's divorced. And um, but I didn't go because I didn't believe in because, it. Because because of she, that, she held a grudge for for she still holds a grudge years years later. I can't say I blame her. To be honest, and is she single, by the way? Well, I didn't, I didn't believe. Like, I couldn't stand by oh, her man. and have someone say, um, "Does anybody disagree with this? Does it? Do I support it or not? I don't support it. I love my sister, but I don't support yeah. this marriage." So that becomes like a same, same thing, an affirming moment. Like, please affirm me for the choices I'm making. No, I, I don't agree with. Uh, I don't agree with that. That's not something I believe in. I love you. And I'll love you no matter what choice you make. And so I didn't go to the wedding and support the marriage. I love her though, and I don't. So that there's conflict there. But the same thing comes from Scott's transgender example. It doesn't even matter, you know who it is. It's
1: it's two. It's the two different perspectives. It's it's one saying you should accept someone, and it's the other, like you were saying, Dan. It's you. You should not be seeking for your uh, value in what other people think. And and so like
2: you're
3: so just because we're going to
2: fail you at some point. Y-
1: yeah, you
3: will people, fail you. people will fail you. Yeah. In yeah. and, and, and an interesting twist, you could interpret that, Scott. And flip what Jeff's perspective it. on his head and say. You could have gone to the wedding. 'Cause you're more worried How can about you say that? I'm totally offended.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Zach.
3: No, but Zach, you you could have gone and
0: please. been like, you know what, I don't agree with this, but I'm just gonna show up for my sister. Gosh darn it, Dan, why'd you have to <laughs> say was, that? It was
3: you being worried about what people would think about you going okay. to... Zach said it. I
2: got to admit, I was not a believer at the time, and I, at least I don't think I was a believer. Would you have um, handled it differently? now? Um, I was a Laura Schlesinger Oh, wow. Oh, <laughs> man, listener. Wow. Dr. Laura. <laughs> and she was like, hey, if you don't agree with it, you can't go, because you, you're supporting it by going. But now I look back... I'm yeah, like, I don't know if that's you know true what? or not. Maybe. Now I look back and I'm like, yeah. Maybe you're all well, but, you're all right, but you know on the but, other hand, the other hand is being my my presence, my presence like god's there i mean god's is he God's there is he, he yeah, he is why why do you say that
0: he's now we're, gonna get, we're gonna get. God does way not off here, but, wow. but God I'm doesn't absent that. Himself from gay marriages. I don't think. <laughs> right, it's the same thing as nations. Uh, or or oh, I'm sorry,
2: Scott, you agreed. You well, thought, no, what, yeah. what
1: you say? What, why? Why would you say God is there? Like, is God everywhere? Or like in that sense, the, the sense that you're saying God is there? Like what? You, like you, I'm you, with you, can't you just, child. You can Who's this child? You, you can't just throw it out and say, God's there, and then expect everyone to go, oh, yeah, God's there. No, but that,
2: okay, you have how to about defend, this? Not, not, Wait, in, not in supporting it, but loving. Guest speak. Oh, hi, how oh, about hi this? Dan.
0: Uh, God loves Jeff's sister and Jeff's sister's ex-wife, and in that sense, God is there, whether or not he approves of their getting married in the state of California.
1: Totally. Well, I would, I would say that, no, they're, they're not his children if they are not in, in Christ. Really? No. Well, well then we'll that's definitely that's disagree what, on that. That's what, that's what Scripture says. You're not God's children unless you're in Christ. That's... Well,
3: we'd, we'd probably disagree on what?
0: Jesus says, I have sheep that are not of this fold. Who are those, Scott? Uh, sheep that are not of this fold
1: would be probably yeah. the Gentiles, uh, unless you're a Calvinist. Yeah, I'm not a
0: Calvinist. Well, no. So, I'm saying it's yeah. the Gentiles. Isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I'm not sure about that. I like C.S. Lewis. So it would be well, well of it's either the Gentiles or it's what
1: people who don't believe in God. I'm not. I'm not sure. It's,
3: what's the especially those who believe? the, the Timothy or passage
1: um,
3: that uh, all will be. Oh man, I'm really jacking it. He's up. a savior. Is sa- savior okay. of
1: all, especially of those who believe. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But, that, that, but you can't take that and say, oh, everyone is saved then. I mean, I think that, er, well, <laughs> a, is everybody created in the image of God? Well, everyone's created in the image of God, but that's, that does not mean that everyone is a child of God in the aspect of being, quote unquote, right. saved. You're only saved if you're in Christ, and you're only a child of God if you are what's described as you follow, if you love God, which means following the commandments of God. so. So in that in that sense that you're saying it, if you're talking about salvation, then you are only a child of God if you're in Christ. Wait, hold on. Yeah. I got
0: to be sorry. Yeah, go. Gotta, uh, you know sorry. What? Yeah, right go. That was amazing. No. I can go, till yeah, I, uh, I can yeah, go for another so 20 we'll minutes. So we'll continue with Jeff really here.
1: Okay. So Jeff, I, I think that you are good in
3: in not going because, because you can— I mean, first of all, kudos to you, Scott, for— <laughs> We have this amazing habit of bringing up a can, of, opening a can of worms, like right as we. It, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's amazing. I can't it's tell if you're being a passive aggressive, aggressive right now.
1: No, passive me. aggressive.
3: I am a passive aggressive. Go, Scott. No, right. Dan's go. peeing. Gwen's right. saying no, goodnight. So, so good Jeff. Night Gwen. So Jeff, good I think.
2: Good night, <laughs> goodnight Gwen. People I, who go to a wedding are saying, "I support this
1: couple." Yes, I, I agree, and but, I totally. But the f- thing is, the thing is, is is that I disagree with that. The thing is that. The thing is that you don't have to support someone in every aspect of what they do. You can disagree with
3: them in some things. We're going to have a rainbow parade still, today yeah, when you go. And still love them. No, I'm, I'm not and going. Right. And, so, st- and still love them I, in all the other aspects. Your amygdala is enlarged. Um, I I agree with you. I agree with you right there. He's um, cutting you off is just, what he's doing. Should I just enlarge your amygdala no, anymore? No, Zach cut you, I you know off. I can mean. see
1: it. I don't even know what the amygdala is.
3: Um, No, I agree. The difference is uh, Jesus acting with and on people's behalf and being with people is not. He, it was never about like whether or not the people thought. The people thought he was condoning behavior. They didn't like who he was hanging out with, it, regardless of people's behavior. Jesus interacted and was with people and strove to heal people, which but, I think is why. Well, but Jeff the, the, didn't just like he, he
1: didn't say you're not my sister anymore he said to him I I love you but I'm I'm just I'm not going to go to your I'm wedding and saying, I will support you she, other okay she I, I
2: understand she, she actually right? told me she said I sat down with her and she said you need to accept this and I'm like what accept what she need, you, you need to accept that this is the way it is and I'm thinking like what what is it that you want me to accept and it's really like I love you and I you're, I mean, you're, you're, we're all living our lives, and you want me to accept something. I don't understand what it means to ex- accept. Except
1: like, you're not, except al- that she's an alcoholic, except that she's whatever. a drug user, it, except that Chris, she's a porn down. So if Jesus, so you're saying that Jesus would be accepting of everything. So would he go to the porn shoot? No, that's not what I'm say, saying. We, Scott, I just, I'm, I'm in, I'm here, I'm here for you because. If if there's no standard, if there's no standard
2: for right and wrong,
1: well, no, 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 no it's
2: it's not. He's just it's not a relativist
0: society. Nobody I mean, if we're in that society, everything. then everybody gets to do anything. Well, okay, sorry. Okay, so, Hold on. so Dan's back. Jeff Jeff said that God was there. He didn't say that God approved of the wedding, and so I think that it's safe to say that Jesus did not approve of prostitution, nor did he approve of shearing taxes off the top Democrats. as you collect taxes from the Jewish people. And yet he spent a lot of time with prostitutes right. and tax collectors. So we don't necessarily, we could, there's a whole separate question about whether or not a homosexual monogamous relationship can be valid in God's eyes. Like a heterosexual marriage can be. That's a separate question from whether God cares to be in relationship with the kinds of people who sin, well, which is everybody, does. Right, and I think that's all Jeff was saying. Yeah, oh. but that's all Jeff was saying. That's that doesn't make right. it any less profound just because it's every person. In fact, that is right. it's all the more profound. Asking, because okay, it's every what's person. What's the
1: sense that? In what, what's the? What in what sense do you mean that God is there or Jesus was there? Like, it, it can't just be just this. It's god, no, God's like, just no, God's just because then it doesn't mean anything.
2: God's just present in people's lives. He's knocking and knocking like in my life. He was knocking. He's been knocking my entire life until finally I I answered the knocking and I'm like, "What? Oh my god." God. But, but, but,
1: but, so I agree my with life
0: that. has changed.
2: I
1: agree with that.
0: Scott, I want to I want to push back on what you just said. You said it doesn't mean anything if we just mean that he's there insofar as he's there when he's with any human being doing anything. I think that, I know you're saying, I know you're saying, you're saying that it doesn't mean anything unless we can figure out the parameters Mm. Uh, of which actions he approves of or doesn't or which, I wouldn't go that far. There has to be some line. Okay. I'm just saying like, I don't know if gay marriages count in God's eyes or not. Uh, But, to say that just just because we say God loves everybody equally or something like that, that doesn't lessen God's love. We could have no God. We could have a God who did not love us. I mean, we're sitting on a rock that's four and a half billion years old. It has seven billion people on it in a universe with trillions and trillions of stars and galaxies that God either loves us or doesn't love us. And to say, well, only if we know which ones he loves, will it mean anything that he loves us? I think yeah, is I a false I, statement. I, would, I don't think I we could be in an statement. indifferent universe, but I think that that's where you're kind of pressing toward is you, you want the, you want to know the boundary so that you can know if you're in the boundary or not, and that you can know who's not in the boundary or which activities are outside the boundary. And of course, there is immoral action and moral action. Of course, God's not, God is not like asking us to kill people, but is God at the porn shoot? Like, is God there when the male porn star goes too far and the female porn star has to like tell him to stop and someone has to come on set and she's, even though she's chosen this really shitty way to make a living, uh, if there's a a moment of taking advantage between male and female porn star, you think God's not there? He's totally there. It's not like the place he'd want to photo op.
1: No, but I'm saying in in reaction to how Jeff was using it and and I I wasn't sure like how how he's using it. So I I, I think God is is influencing uh, things far beyond what what uh what we perceive, sure. So was God there at the wedding working in people? Sure. But Jeff, the way you're saying
0: it, you're like, so. Today, you're worried about the boundary. So, I don't. I don't know what the boundary. I don't. I don't think Jeff ever said anything other than, yeah, he's there because Well, he Jeff, is loves that what them. you said they're though? Children that is of God, what I said, and you, you didn't like that, that they're you're my children. They, okay? So I would. I I disagree with. You're my children. You're my creation.
1: I okay. That's that's a different statement. than oh, you're Oh goodness children. gracious! <laughs> I gotta go to the
0: bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so the very so the very rocks will cry out, but the non saved humans are, wh- aren't his wh- wh- children. What's the biblical parameter what's the for line? being God's children?
1: Dan, in the New Testament, what what is described? Who who are described as being God's children?
0: Oh man, I think there's a lot of different well, if, ways if to that, answer that if question that's your from the New Testament.
1: Then, then that would be my response. If that's not your question, then then we can move on.
0: Yeah, no, it's fine. Uh, maybe we should talk about some theology. Um, I don't know what you guys want to talk about, but okay. I do have another podcast called Reconstruct.
1: <laughs> Wait yeah. b- before we go, <laughs> I'm, I'm taking over, Zach. Shut up. Before we go, before real quick, before we go to th- to more theology stuff. Um, be, earlier, you uh, mentioned that the left was concerned about Trump being the authoritarian. Yeah. Um, now I thought that was interesting. The because. What what I see, or from what I, what I hear, and I, I admit I probably listen to more conservative right right stuff. Although I you know I, I don't listen to Limba or or anything like that, but I don't go that far. <laughs> but um, but you meant but but from what I hear is that it's the the conservatives who are concerned about the left and and may, mainly the more liberal who are trying to take control political you know bigger government and that will become authoritarian do you you see what i'm saying yeah but but you
0: Mm -hmm. mentioned that it's it's trump being authoritarian um so i just thought that was interesting i think the reason that the left is worried about trump being being an authoritarian is that he he speaks exactly like an authoritarian he says i'm gonna suspend habeas corpus i don't care i don't think the free press should have a free ride i don't and he's he, like, makes incredibly anti-democratic statements. The, the thing is, though, he's just pretty inept at accomplishing them. So we haven't really had any erosion of democracy yet, and I'm less worried about that than I was before he got elected. If he was a, a more smooth operator, it could be it could be more scary. Um, he has a united House and a Senate, but he hasn't even been able to get health care or tax reform or anything passed. So... I, I'm not yeah. too worried about him shredding up the Constitution. I think he'll get very wealthy. I think his friends will get very wealthy. I think it will be really a sad four years in terms of kleptocracy and the sort of immoral amassing of wealth a la Putin. Uh, and I would say a la the Clintons in, in some ways, although not, not nearly as bad as Putin has been able to do to the tune of you know multiple billions of dollars. Oh, um, isn't
1: he the richest man in the world uh, according to some estimates?
0: yeah i mean he's 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 the he's the par excellence and and Trump praises him constantly I mean, that's the kind of guy Trump thinks is valuable you know which is sad
1: and I, and i can't, I can't disagree with that completely now it's interesting you mentioned kleptocracy um and and you know who who's stealing what from whom um and and I think the conservatives are concerned that the Democrats are stealing from the Republicans and the social programs taking from one to give to the other to give to the other. But but even even uh, going back to the the statements about Trump, um, uh, saying that that the press shouldn't have a free ride, what what, what I've seen and 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 a, and kind of like you, I I wasn't really involved in politics until this this election cycle, and I was like, I I had been away from politics for a while because I didn't want to get caught up in it, but but this has kind of brought me back in, like I'm kind of interested in, again. And because it's, it's like, what the heck is going on in, in America? You know, I, 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 there, there's so much, I'm hearing so much stuff. I want to, I want to know enough where I'm not like just being deceived by, you know, hearing a particular yeah. pundit, but, um, but Trump is Trump saying, saying that the, the press doesn't have a free ride, but it. It seems that he's doing that in like, look, you're you're fake news. Okay, big deal. You calling on fake news is one thing. But when you have
3: Is there the, a question in this somewhere?
1: when you have the left
0: He said he wanted to open up the libel laws so that he could sue journalists? That's what he actually said. And oh, that would be that? Okay. very scary. Okay, okay. He hasn't actually done that yet. Okay,
1: good. Okay. So so that's something I haven't heard. So that's that's something like okay, well, how is he actually implementing this stuff other right. than, you know, uh saying you're fake news as opposed to something like Using, uh, you know, tax audits and and stuff like that to actually go after specific people or, you know, something like that. Yeah, that been
0: well, we'll see. Him. He may try and do some more of that stuff. He, he's his administration is not operating at a very high level right now. I don't know how effective he could even be with those kind of attacks at the moment, but he could learn. And I guess we'll see.
3: Uh, Zach, right. did you
0: wanna, do you want to transition to theology for I a few minutes love to. before I'm we're so done? I am
3: glad you brought it up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I could see it on your face.
3: Um, uh, I'm not a good bullshitter. Bullshitter? Doesn't, Zach oh, bullshitter. Doesn't like me very well. I love you. I just don't like you right yeah, now. You want one of these? Sure. He, he. So Reconstruct. Reconstruct. Yes. What birthed Reconstruct for you? And how did you hook up with John.
0: Yeah, I decided I wanted to do, I'd been thinking about it for a while, doing a theology podcast, and about a year ago, I was like, okay, I think it's time. I, I kind of felt like God was saying it was time to do that. And then he and I had breakfast one day, and he was kind of talking about his own career frustrations. You know, he wants to go into academia. It's a, it's a very difficult place to get a job these days. doesn't help to be a white male um, in terms of job prospects, but even if you aren't, it's still really hard. Right. And... Yeah. Uh, it kind of hit us just like we should do this show together. Like we, we always talk theology at bonfires over beers. We go for sometimes three or four hours at a time. People tend to be interested in it. And we started talking about what it would be and how we could make it interesting and different. And the main things we kind of came upon were, you know, the fact that we disagree and that we can disagree in a civil fashion and still be friends. Uh, We go to the same church, even though we have differing theologies Um, and, and then we sort of came up with our three values, um, which we don't have to go into those, but, um, sort of, we figured out what it was going to be. Yeah. So critical charity, which is like, we're going to, we're going to take things seriously, but we're going to, uh, give a charitable listen to a, a point of view that's other than our own. So we do that to each other and with our guests, uh, meaningful unity. The other word for that is ecumenism or ecumenicalism, which is that we think that the variety of Christian denominations and Christian ways of doing things in the world is of value uh, in and of itself. Um, and so we don't want a cheap unity or a cheap ecumenism where we just go, well, whatever floats your boat. We actually want to know what everyone brings to the table and take it seriously. And then uh, serious theology, which is that we're not going to sort of, we're not going to stop at, um, surface level stuff. Like we aren't, we aren't speaking only to seminary students, but we're going to, we're going to really attempt to get to the real questions at the bottom of whatever topic it is that we're talking about. And so that's the hardest one to do because it's difficult to make that sound understandable to people who have no theological training. Uh, but we just do our best. So
3: that is awesome. So what, man, I, (laughs) I'm, I'm kind of bummed we're opening up the,
0: uh, can of worms. This it
3: still has about ten minutes, right? <laughs> yeah, I know.
0: I go a little I go a little longer. Let's yeah, just 15, let's just chat. So flexible.
3: Minutes. So what has has there been a guest or just talking with John um in doing this young podcast, which is one of my favorites right now? Uh has it been has there been what has blown your mind or maybe altered anything, if at all, or at least expanded your perspective?
0: That's a really good question. Um Nothing has blown my mind yet. I mean, we're only like 10 episodes in, but something that I was a little surprised by, uh, I believe it's coming out on Monday, uh, is my answer to the question of if the Bible is inerrant and what inerrancy means and whatnot. And I kind of thought that I would give a pretty progressive answer on that. And I, I actually sat down to do the work and think through it. And actually was a little bit surprised. I, I am willing to affirm, I can affirm infallibility in the way that the Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox and Anglican churches affirm it, which is that scripture is um, infallible when it comes to like faith and Christian life, basically salvation and Christian life. And that also scripture will never fail a person who comes to it wanting a relationship with God. And uh, I can, I can, I can affirm that. And I was a little bit surprised by that. And I was surprised at how much John and I actually agreed on inerrancy. I I really thought we would disagree quite a bit, but he has a a substantially less sort of conservative theological perspective on the biblical text. And I think I have a little bit more conservative than I thought it was. Um, And so that was cool. And I think maybe we've, Influenced each other over the years and he hadn't had that conversation in a long time um, We definitely still have disagreements, you know, I think that he feels like We're bound by the opinions of the biblical authors more than I think that we're bound by them for instance, but um, That's that's probably the closest thing uh, and then I'll say this today I was listening back to Drew Hart's episode, which was just uh, released yesterday. We're recording this on a Tuesday and uh he talked about Black Liberation theology, and, and I hadn't listened to that because we had done that interview like four months ago, five months ago, and I was like convicted by it. Like I, I, uh, when we'd had the interview, I had my worries sort of from depolarized. Like I, I'm very, I'm very suspect of the left these days, even though I am on the left. Yeah, I'm, I'm just like way more aware of how the left goes wrong than the right. And so I'm really on my guard and and I was like, even though I'm like interviewing a black theologian about black theology, I still, uh, I'll still wield my white privilege to like challenge him, uh, whether or not that's socially kosher or not. I did do that. Yeah. And he was really gracious. And, uh, I, I think, I think we got to some good stuff and I just was like, man, I, I'm, I'm convinced by what he's saying and I'm convicted on this. And, um, that was convicting, but also refreshing, and it made me think I need to to take another look at um, what John calls con- contextual theologies, which is like feminist theology, liberation theology, the, these these ways of looking at the biblical story that, that point at something specific, but they all make a larger claim, which is that uh, theology is always done in context, so here's a context to do it in. Here's another context to do it in, um, as opposed to sort of systematic theology, which attempts to maybe answer all the questions in mm-hmm. an in a interlocking system. I just went for a long time there. Scott gave me a lot of disapproving looks.
2: <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> yeah, I can see you, man. I've we're heard, on video. The word, her- uh, the word hermeneutics is running through Scott's mind right now. Her- mm, hermeneutics.
3: Scott just wishes it was called hismeneutics. Did you have any, anything to add? You sighed. No,
1: I, 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 some of that wasn't very interesting. Actually, all of it was very interesting. Some of it was intriguing in both positive and negative. This ways. That's a very but passive some, answer, Zach, Scott. Uh, go ahead. You know, I, I, I'm sure we'll have you back. <laughs> Put on. your gloves on, man. No, I, I'm sure we'll have you back <laughs> on again, Dan. But, oh my uh, God! Oh, <laughs> no, I, no. I, but uh, but I think Zach Zach was looking for. Uh, he had some questions, I think, to no, to go forward to with.
3: More go, just uh, talk about. I would
1: love to things. take the time. I, mean, yeah, I know if you if you give me the time, I will I will go for it.
2: Scott, do you feel <laughs> weak? I mean, the time is yours. <laughs> no,
1: no, no. I think Zach had some Zach had some stuff.
3: Well, I'm just aware of you, Dan's already given us above and beyond. So, in tribute to what you do at the end of Depolarize, I'm gonna do a jacked up version of your final question, which is give us a biblical, biblical conservative versus liberal. What do the liberals, what's on your mind that theologically liberal people do or assume about conservatives that needs to be corrected and vice versa. And then we can do the same thing politically.
0: Okay. All right. So theologically. All right. This is what I think I would say. (laughs) Well, actually, I want to do politics first because it informs the way I'll answer the religious question. So, okay, politically, the problem that the right has with the left is that the right thinks that the left are, um, they want things for free and that they are not willing to put the work in. The reason that they think that is because the right, people on the right have a stronger moral foundation of like loyalty and authority. And so they think like I, you know, you just have to work within this system. You have to put it in, you got to put your time in, and then the system will give you back what you deserve. And when conservatives think about equality, they tend to think about fair when they when sorry, when they think about fairness, they prioritize equality of opportunity, whereas the left prioritizes equality of outcomes. And actually, sometimes those can get mixed up. So like Scott was saying, that people on the right are worried about those on the left sort of taking money from people who've worked hard and giving it to welfare freeloaders. But what the right doesn't understand about the left is that usually people on the left want welfare or affirmative action, or they want these kind of systems not because they want a quality of outcome where they want everyone to make the same amount of money, they want a quality of opportunity and they see a le- they see a playing field that is not level. And so it's not that people on the left want things for free. College students don't just want tuition forgiveness because they want things for free. College has become like 10 times more expensive than it was for their parents and their parents you know were able to pay for their college much more easily. They, they feel like the playing field is not level, whether it's for themselves as college students or if it's for minority communities, women, whatever. So that the right misunderstands that the left are not looking for handouts, generally speaking. They want a level playing field. They want equality of opportunity. What the left misunderstands about the right is that people on the right have fundamental moral convictions about loyalty and authority and the left thinks that they're craven, that they're immoral because they want to keep all their stuff for themselves. But that's not really true. I mean, some people do, but it's more like people on the right are willing to live with discomfort because they don't want to take a handout. They don't think you should take a handout. They have a moral sense that it's wrong for people to get handouts, for instance. And so they think that people will be better If they don't get a handout, they will have to develop skills and they will be better off. So it's not that people on the right are calloused, morally calloused. It's that they have a different moral framework. So in that sense, both sides misunderstand each other because of their moral frameworks. And this is all basically from a book called The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt, which I love. I
3: knew it was going to come up. It's on my Amazon wish list. My wife and I have a, uh, this is the greatest struggle in our marriage right now is I hear somebody talk about a book and I need to to buy it impulsively, whether or not I'm going to have the time to read it for the next five years.
0: Sure. So
3: it's definitely on the list.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so you want me to do theology now? Yes, please. Okay. So it's, it's going to sound kind of similar. So people on the theological left think that those on the right cannot see that they are a part of an oppressive system um, that they're sort of blindly following that wreaks all this havoc on the oppressed. And then they look at Jesus and they go, look, here's a, here's a guy, a God and a son of God who constantly side with the oppressed. How in the hell can these people be Christians and not care about the poor? But it's similar Uh, those people on the right, the thing is theologically conservative are usually politically conservative as well. And the same things apply. They have these moral foundations about how things ought to be. And so it might be that they care a great deal for the poor, but they don't think that handouts will help them. It might be that they care a great deal if we're talking about more social issues, not fiscal issues like gay marriage or whatever. It might be that they have a great, uh, Loyalty they feel to the tradition of the church, and they feel like you should respect loyalty, um, and so, or, or rather, you should respect tradition. And so, they're very unlikely to sort of change their mind on something that basically the church has agreed upon for two thousand years. So the left thinks that the right are maybe intellectually lazy, uh, and or tight fisted. And I, I think that that's, I think that they misunderstand that. I think that if we're going to, if those of us on the theological left are going to have a meaningful conversation with the right, then we need to actually figure out what the real questions are. So like, you know, one way I like to frame it is, okay, here's what Paul thought about homosexual sex. Are we bound by what Paul thought about it? That's the question. And then we can have a conversation about that. But let's, let's not pretend he didn't think it was wrong. He did. Romans one is totally clear. Um, So then what the right misunderstands about the left. I think that the, the right feels like the left is careless theologically that when they're done, there will be no Christianity left that they will stray so far from the center that's been established that there will be no faith left and they will just, that they're capitulating to culture. They basically feel...
3: There's an an agenda for it.
0: Yeah, I mean, there, or anyway, like there's some gay agenda maybe in the media and then left Christians are deceived by that agenda or something, even if they don't have it themselves. Right. And I would say that the reason that that's wrong is because there were Catholics who felt that way about the reformers who they, you know, there won't be anything left. What? You don't need priests anymore? What? You don't need indulgences anymore? What what are you going to have? You're just going to walk around with your stupid Bible, you know, just willy-nilly? Or and
1: translating that, outside of
0: Latin, you
1: have the right. Oh, you're going to open the floodgates for right. interpretations and yeah.
0: But I think that uh, the best progressives are trying to be really true to the spirit of Jesus and the spirit of the biblical writers. So again, you know, back to that question of, are we bound by the biblical author's opinions? Well, we actually don't think we're bound by what Paul said about women. I don't, I I know very few people who cover their heads in church. Uh, we don't think we are bound by Paul and Peter's understanding of slavery. We don't think we are bound by the old Testament's understanding of polygamy. And so a progressive might actually be saying, look, it's not like, I mean, obviously people on the left and right go too far all the time. Everybody. People go too far, go too far in every direction, but there are people who are not capitulating to culture. The reason that I worry about homosexual marriage, the reason that I worry about us not allowing it as a church is because I can't find anything sinful about it. I mean, I try and think about what would be sinful. The only answer I get is because God didn't plan it that way, which is basically a tautology. It's A equals A. Uh, it, that actually isn't a reason, you know, why is envy bad? Well, it's because you want something that's not yours. You're being selfish. Why is pride bad? Because you're placing yourself in the, in the seat of God. He's in charge. You're not in charge. Why is liking another man bad? Um, it is right. So I'm not, I've had that problem since I was old enough to realize I had that problem. I was probably 18. That's not capitulating to culture. Is it easier to be a gay-affirming Christian in 2017 than it was in 1917, yes, it is. But that's a straw man argument to to simply to write it off as a result. So both sides straw man each other. This is what human beings just fucking do all the time to each other. And yep. so we need to not do that. Um, we need to have the real arguments. I mean, we could all use a good dose of Aristotelian logic and uh, maybe even some rhetoric classes. Um, so that was a long-winded answer, man. He looked right at you, Zach.
3: i'll take it it's all right i'll I'll be rebuked it's okay scott
0: that's it that was that was a long answer but that's my answer
3: those are great great thoughts and i I feel like Mm. i have to mention um i don't know if you know this guy on twitter garrett holmes garrett underscore holmes was asking about you being drawn or interested more in liturgical church services why is that
0: yeah, it's funny. Uh he asked that when I did a QA episode this past week, and I just didn't I couldn't get to all the questions. So then yeah. I, I I tweeted him, I was like, I see what you did there. Yeah. He asked the exact same question. He just copied and pasted it. Um Garrett, good question. The reason that I and my wife anyway, the reason that we're drawn to liturgical services is because we are both ADD. And when we go to this is something that my wife and I have the same experience about. If we go to an evangelical church service with a rock band and a 40-minute sermon or whatever... Hills, yeah. Our, bra- our brains just go everywhere they want to go. I mean, I'm a musician for a living. I think about the songs. I think about the guitar tone. I'm really not focusing on God. I'm not focusing on my own sin or forgiveness of sin. Um, I need the structure. Uh, and, and so actually now I, I even... Even our Presbyterian services, with a with a thirty minute sermon and a bunch of songs, are feeling like pretty ADD ridden for me compared to going to Catholic Mass, where it's like everything is is like super dialed in. You you're focused the whole time. I guess mean, I, I suppose you could not be focused, but you're falling asleep for but me, me. Continue the, the, re- <laughs> the repetition for me is really helpful, and I find that at the end of Mass or at the end of any liturgical sort of setting if I do it, even if I don't go in sort of focused on God, I come out uh, with a quieter mind. And uh, in the meantime, I have repeated all of the central tenets of my faith um, and sort of reaffirmed my faith while also calming my brain down, which is sort of constantly spinning at 100 miles an hour.
3: That is awesome.
0: That's interesting
2: because in the evangelical church that I'm at, it's it's a rock band and it's forty minutes of uh, message after that. But uh, my mind, I would actually ditto what you said. Um, so we're, I mean, we're all built uniquely, and my mind coming yep. out of our services is very quiet and prayerful and uh, right. It's so awesome. it's. I mean, it, we find our, our place in terms of church.
0: I think the only like universal thing that I would argue for is I think that every church should take the Eucharist every week. And the reason that I would argue for that is that is just the ritual center of our faith. I mean, God incarnate coming and giving his body and blood for us. I mean, it, it encapsulates everything about the gospel in an act and also, Jesus—it's the only thing He commanded us to do ritualistically. And so, I think, I—I I think that it'd be great if every church did that. I grew up in a crackers and grape juice once a month evangelical church, and it was not didn't have that kind of import. Not until I started going to Catholic Mass in college, I didn't take the Eucharist, but I—I I went and I was like, why is this the center? Like half the thing is about this, and I sort of started putting it together, you know, over the years of like, oh, there's a reason for that. Um, and our, our church our Presbyterian church does it every week as well and so I, that's the only thing that I other than that I think do whatever like whatever works for you it's great I'm glad there are all kinds of different churches I would I would encourage anyone who doesn't do Eucharist weekly to, to think about that because I think it is sort of the even if you d- just think it's a ritual it's like just in remembrance it's still such a good encapsulation of the whole crystallizes
3: thing
1: crystallizes you know? it well it Def- focuses it's definitional Oh, you say yeah. crystallizes it?
3: Yeah, you didn't let me finish. I was gonna <laughs> crystallize no, it. I'm with you. I'm with
2: you on that. Um I actually, I had disappointment. I hadn't gone to church uh, a week or two ago, and someone said, "Oh, hey, we did,
3: we did communion." Then we had communion, and I'm like, "Oh man, it was the one. It's the once-month blend. We go to the same church." And that that is like the one yeah. thing I've been a little bit longing for is just a little bit of a crossover of the liturgy into you know our our church is very much um centered around Christ and the cross and not a lot of boundaries beside that um which is great and but a yeah. little bit more of that liturgy is it's just a personal thing, so you miss it sorry
2: no i i like i just Man,
0: I got regrets. (laughs)
3: Yeah, that's all right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, like, even if you're not a Catholic, you can go, Catholic churches have mass every day. Most of them do. You can, it's 25 minutes long during the week. If you need to get a little liturgy in your life, you can do that. And when you go up for the Eucharist, just cross your arms and then they won't give it to you you don't have to feel bad. But you can still have that, you can pray the Lord's Prayer, you can ask for forgiveness of sins. You can focus on all the stuff that it's about the, you know, all the stuff they do before they give you the Eucharist is like, it's all of the, it's like the good shit, man. It's like the real (laughs) stuff about, about what Christ was and did. And so you can do that. I mean, it is available to you. I mean, not everybody's schedule allows for it, but it's there.
2: The the good, did he say the good shit? Christ. it's the, I, the good shit i felt shit. like we were talking about what was the tv show with Battle the high Spears school teacher that starts doing the blue like <laughs> opinions it's, just like, I guess. it's the good stuff uh no they the idea i mean i was i i was raised a catholic um during my early years and what's the crossing the arms what
0: what is that uh that you you're just basically saying don't give me the the bread like i'll take a blessing oh. huh. instead huh. okay Because for Catholics, they don't want uh, non-Catholics taking it, which I think is, I don't agree with that, Um, but that's the sort of official stance of the church. And so, because they don't want people taking it, I think, that don't regard it as highly as as they do, Um, which makes some sense, but you you can always get a blessing and it's not like a judgmental thing. Uh, And I, I, I will say, like, I've had some, I've asked for blessings sometimes and I'm I'm pretty sure something happened. I mean, I don't know what, but I felt. When you've asked something. for a blessing, what? I mean, so you've you've gone up
2: and they've held up. They've done the Eucharist, and you don't take it. So when you say you take a blessing,
0: what? What's yeah? Happening? You just you just you're in right. line, so right. you no, line totally up, and, and then you just aware. yeah. When you get there, instead of putting right. your hands out, or some people like put their right. tongue out. Uh, you just put okay. Cross your arms Over you like Right a, And like then an what hex, happens next And then they just say oh, they just say like You know okay. Bless you my son Or bless okay. you my daughter And I don't know what the priest Is doing in their mind But I'm sure it's something Kind of similar As when they give you the, the okay. Cracker or whatever huh? I don't know what is going on. I think God meets us in all of that. It sounds really silly once you start Of course, because he's it. always present, Scott. In detail. Right. No,
3: knock it off. Knock it off.
0: Not going back there. Damn. Guys, this yeah. was a great conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah, I,
3: I wanted to touch on anxiety, but we're not going to do that now. You mentioned anxiety once and yep. struggling with it, and then you went and started podcasts on the two subjects you're not supposed to talk about Yeah, to avoid anxiety. But somehow you do it calmly.
0: No, no. Theology does not produce anxiety. I love it. Politics does produce anxiety. And it's something I'm thinking about. And if I ever stop doing depolarize, it will at least in part be because it's not worth the uh, neurological toll on my body.
3: Yeah, ulcers. Yeah. Well, give us, we'll have everything in the show notes, but uh, how can people find your music and, you know, commercial stuff? And I'm sure people can use that stuff (laughs) if they want to. And also the Yeah, podcast. if you
0: happen to work at an ad agency or something, you can go to dancoke.net um, and hire me there. For everybody else, uh, the band Sherwood is still a band. It's like an emo pop band, kind of like Jimmy Eat World. We have four hey. records. We'll be hitting the Midwest in October. The two podcasts are Depolarize and Reconstruct. I love one-word titles with an <laughs> E as the second letter <laughs> with prefixes. Uh And uh, yeah, you can just Google those. um, And that's it, I think.
1: Sweet, man. We need to have you back on.
0: I'm happy to come back on. We'll do it. Hey, where are you going in the Midwest? Uh, I I can't remember exactly, but it's like Chicago, Minneapolis, Nashville, I think St. Louis, uh, Cincinnati. Mm. Please
1: tell me you're staying away from Boise.
0: Uh, Boise, not the Midwest. Those are West Coast tours. We didn't hit Boise last time, no. It's been a while.
2: (laughs) All right, man. Fantastic.
0: Thank you, Dan.
3: This was awesome. You gave above and beyond what you were (laughs) we're planning on. I know,
0: but I really appreciate it. I'm actually really excited for when you have John Rains on to listen to him and Scott go at it. That'll be good.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I I would love that. I I think I think it's
1: going to be him and I teaming up against Zach. I don't. I I
0: don't know. It it may not be like you think. Okay, so for the listener, this was. Wait, we're not
3: recording. We are recording. Oh, okay. That was two hours. Wait, really? With Dan. I gotta go to work tomorrow. I know, that was two hours with Dan. Um, that was squishy. And the plan was for an hour. So wow! That was thanks, everybody. Dan. Thanks everybody, a lot,
2: man. You know what? People stick with us because it becomes a bros thing. Like they feel like I think they just like I like this. This is this and by is bros. Good. It's not okay. Like you he, don't have to caveat. Again, the again, the we're not. We right. don't work. Don't out. even say it. It's just like he was sitting here in this room. But That's he what did becomes. Kind of
3: have that impression coming in. What I think he did. Of, hey, of a bro I, I've got a beer. I would do. Right, 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 right. We all have ripped abs and shit. <laughs> shit words and yeah,
2: we've we've got ripped abs and and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah,
1: darn. I I really hope people don't think that about us.
3: And putting sentences together right now. You know that guy at the baseball game where it's sixty, yes. maybe sixty-five degrees. Oh, guys, it's so hot. I. I got to take my shirt off. I mean, it's
2: 65 <laughs> degrees. You can't expect me to
3: keep my yeah, shirt on. Uh, hey, bro, what's, what guy. are you doing? <laughs> that's not us. Okay. Anyway. You're you're right. Uh, but I I love that guy. I love his podcast. A couple of his responses to Scott were like, oh, that's what I'm thinking, but I can't formulate to get out of my mouth, which I appreciated. His story and his rebuilding of faith and where he's at, Kind of parallels mine, which I identify with, obviously, and I am attracted to. I love that
2: he... It was the opposite thinking in terms of the president and Trump? And I love that he like got was there were seven other guys and they went and went door to door in in Nevada. Yeah, like, that's in fantastic.
1: Not because they wanted Hillary, yeah. but because right. they hate Trump. Right, that's awesome. That's he, most he, of politics. He didn't say
2: he did not say hate for the record. No, I but love that he was he completely was convicted Trump. to do that. I mean, he left his own state. He left the confines of his home, and he's like, I'm going to go to Nevada, honey, and I'm going to go walk door the, to door.
1: The nearest, There's some
2: passion the, behind that. The nearest battleground, not state, the nearest battleground
1: city. Who who knows that stuff? Somebody with passion and Good fervor. Creed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, it's probably just a Google search away. He was, was, was depolarizing so
2: much that he was going out to polarize the voters. Yeah. <laughs> wow, Boy, Dan, if you listen to this, I don't apologize. <laughs> hey,
3: there's well, no, there are no, safe spaces. no, no he, safe spaces. He did say that he's backed off some of that uh, fearful reactionary stuff. Oh, man, we are not going to do feedback because it is late and this is a long podcast. We have a lot of feedback, so we will be doing feedback on the next episode. So thanks, Ryan Pottle, Hyperbolic Mike, Poly Named Amanda, Becky Seville. You can stop. It's oh a man, we got list. Becky. List. Re- Nathan- Becky gave us a yeah shout out. some good stuff. It's gonna be fun to go over Namway Design, which Pauly is uh, gave Nathan us a Miller West, Kelly
1: mm. Search. Oh, Kelly Search. Hey, <sighs> we need to respond to that one.
4: Feedback, feedback. Now it's time
3: to some feedback. Feedback. I will say that was good. Let me close with this one. Do it. Feedback from Michael Basinger of the Inglorious Pastards sent me a private note on Facebook. I have his permission to read this. He said, listening to the episode with Callie. So Good. The tension with some of the conversation is palpable. I literally felt uncomfortable in parts. I disagree with Scott on probably most things. I don't think I could handle it. But both you and Scott, this was sent to me. Mm -hmm. By definition, I think he means you, Jeff, too. No. Okay, you're right. (laughs) But both you and Scott handled the conversation with such patience and mutual respect. What you guys are doing is very important. Keep having these convos Michael Basinger.
1: Oh, thanks, Michael.
3: You know, God was present Hi, for all of Michael. that. Yeah, I really appreciate that. We'll get to the feedback on the next episode. Thank you for your, for your patience. Keep sending the feedback to bros. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <Michael> <laughs>